Hello and you're very welcome to this week's uh, Sport Post with myself, Aidan Raftery and uh, Sp- Ross FM Sports as always con- kindly sponsored by Heinz Pharmacy here in Roscommon Town. So we'd like to thank you very much for tuning in and we hope you'll stay tuned for the next couple of hours from 10 to uh, 1 o'clock where we'll have loads of sport. We'll have the local, national and international sport as well as some great interviews as well and uh, so stay tuned and uh, so next up we have the local national and international sport hello and you're very welcome to this week's local national and international sport and we'll start off with local sport and uh, starting off with um, former western gales uh, player and uh, Roscommon player and uh, coach Adrian Dockery has taken over the Leitrim Miners and I'd like to wish him all the best there. Uh, former Rossi now co- now currently involved in uh, heavily involved in um, Leitrim J and he was recently appointed as the uh, Leitrim Miner football manager. So I'd like to uh, take this point this uh, opportunity to wish him all the best for uh, the year ahead whenever whenever that um Whenever that uh, comes around, so I'd like to wish them all the best. And of course, off-field activity with Roscommon Gales. There's going to be a, a Subaru car that helped uh, win. Um, you know, it was a fundraiser. It was donated by, for a competition that uh, the club won uh, for the All-Stars, um, which was for kids with special needs and things like that. So it was a great opportunity. And for that, that campaign, they won that car. Uh, which they were able to use as a prize for a fundraiser and uh, so that was a uh, great and they, they uh, earned a lot of they raised a lot of money and also well done to uh, local rugby club Craig's RFC who uh, who shared in a hundred who gets 10,000 uh, euro of a boost to help towards the development of their already um you know fine level of facilities that they have out in craigs so uh, well done there's always great work going on out there and some great teams of course as we know there hasn't been that many uh, opportunity for games but uh, you know it'll be really looking forward to seeing all the local sports starting back as soon as possible and um, you know with all the uh, with this all this talk about the uh, the vaccine for for the covid vaccine let's hope it's not too it's not too far away, but you never know. It's uh, anything could happen, but uh, let's we have to uh, to remain positive. And uh, in more news, in the on the hurling front in Roscommon, uh, Shane Curry, former four or four roads hurler, has uh, hung up his hurl, and um, after many years of service to the club at senior level, and uh, he had a distinguished career at underage and um, and at senior level for many years. For Furrows and indeed Roscommon, so we'd like to wish him all the best in his retirement, and of course, and uh, yeah, so that's it on the, the local front and on the national front. Don't forget to uh, get your Ireland jersey, your Ireland jerseys out this weekend, as Ireland are away to Wales in the Principality Stadium in the first round of the um, the Six Nations and of course that's a, a big test it's a must win game for really for both teams and uh, so let's uh, let's cheer on our this Ireland rugby team this week and hopefully they'll uh, they'll get a win out of us uh, ahead of their tri- uh, ahead of their game to France so I'd like to wish 
the Ireland squad and of course Andy Farrell all the best at the weekend and hopefully we can get uh, we can get a points from that um you know the principality stadium is never far, never an easy place to go to uh, so fair play so uh, the best of luck lads and of course in the soccer front last night um, or on wednesday night uh, liverpool were bet by um, by brighton in the in the premier league so um that's uh, you know they won two two of their previous games before that and uh, it looked like they were they were turning the corner again and uh, you know this this could be seen as a bit of a setback so it'll be the, and that's ahead of the the city game and with Allison out it's uh, going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that goes but of course it's in uh, the goalkeeping position is in go is in good hands so to speak with Quivine Keller the Irish go- the man from Cork um more than ably deputising last night or you know and that on wednesday night against um against brighton and did very well just kind of unlucky for the goal but um you know he's going from strength to strength and let's hope you know he'll, he'll get many more appearances in the in the goalkeeping position for the the liverpool first team so well done to quaveen and let's hope we can pick it up now again they can pick it up against man city and uh, Man, Man United had a 9 nil win over Southampton, also in the Premier League. Um, they're flying, they've, uh, they're in good form at the moment. Um, so fair play to them. And of course, O'Connell, I, O'Connell in rugby, O'Connell um, I co- said I couldn't turn it down. Of course, as we know, uh, Paul O'Connell is the coach, is one of the coaching staff, a member of the coaching staff with the Ireland rugby senior panel so uh, wishing him all the best and of course all the rugby lads all the, the rest of the Ireland rugby team uh, for this weekend and uh, Down and Cork managers have been hit with with, um, with fines for breaching COVID-19 the inter-county training rules so they they got a three match or a, sorry a three month suspension so uh, you know that's uh, it's very harsh and of course uh, the Cork uh, the Cork senior hurlers and senior footballers the intercounty teams have uh, signed a sponsorship deal with sports direct so um that's a that's an interesting sponsorship deal and so uh, it'll be in then it's a nice jersey i actually seen the new cork jersey um so uh, hopefully it won't be too long before the intercounty scene will be back although you, you never know the way things are going uh, the figures have to still go down um but as you know uh, going back to the Liverpool team, Liverpool have recently signed in the last week. They've signed uh, Ben Davies from Preston North End and also Quebec. Um, so uh, they, I think Ben Davies was in the squad on Wednesday, um, you know, on the bench on Wednesday for the the clash against uh, Brighton. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of partnership, um, if either of them will feature against Manchester City. Um, this weekend a tough game for Liverpool um, not exactly what they need after losing to Brighton but uh, hopefully they ho- it'll be interesting to see what sort of what sort of how they play and uh, you know usually they can pull a rabbit out of a hat after after a loss like that so uh, it'll be interesting to see that and um, so um, yeah so that's the local national and international sport and um, yeah
Hello and you're welcome back to Sport Post with myself, Aidan Raftery and uh, Ross FM Sport is kindly sponsored by Heinz Pharmacy here in Roscommon Town. Well next up we, we're going to have an interview with Iris Mead who is um, also doing the 100 miles in a month challenge in aid of um, the Matter Foundation who is the fundraising arm of the hospital and doing great work and uh, you know myself and uh, all the uh, fellow participants are uh, into the first week of it and it's going very well um now um iris mead is um doing doing a great job as well i did an interview with her during the week um as part of a podcast that i'm going to be doing uh, for the uh, for the event and uh, she tells us all about uh, the reason her reasons for for doing it and uh, her story is even more amazing when you consider that um, she has uh, she's battling uh, Lyme disease and uh, she gets uh, very tired and that but she still she was still very very uh, determined to do that so um so her interview is coming up but um on a on another note um i suppose a note of appreciation i uh, want to i'm going to play a song next up and i'm going to dedicate this to all the people out there that uh, dedicate their lives to helping others and these people include uh, all the pe- thousands of people uh, all over the country uh, who are doing the 100 miles in a in challenge in aid of the matter foundation all those people that have donated around the country as well including all the people that have donated to my uh, donation facebook page thank you very much we've currently i've currently raised a hundred three hundred and sixty three euros i'd like to thank to everyone who has donated so far i especially want to remember i dedicated uh, this song to the patients and their families all the nurses doctors consultants uh, surgeons healthcare workers admin staff porters receptionists and secretaries secretaries in uh, not only in uh, the matter hospital who are doing great work and uh, and that and also i interviewed um tom hickey from the the foundation as well the matter foundation not only all those people that i just mentioned there in the matter but also all around the country the patients and their families all over the country as well as the nurses all over the country and doctors and consultants and surgeons healthcare workers and admin staff porters receptionists and secretaries in hospitals doing great work and um, you know to, to keep us all safe and all the nurses and doctors and that that are given the the um the vaccine so uh, i just want to let those patients and the nurses and everyone know that um myself and fellow participants participants that are doing this uh we really genuinely do care about you all we we really appreciate um you know you're the heroes and so are my fellow participants real heroes in this um you know we're go- we're doing our very best for you um you know it's hard times as well so uh, to all the patients and nurses and everyone out there that's involved in the healthcare system we want to know, know that we do really care about you and we hope you you try and keep safe and um you know so that's a that's just a, a tribute and uh, i think that this you'll agree that this song um this song really i suppose puts everything into perspective and um you know it describes uh, it describes all those people 
all those people uh, perfectly and the song is by Frank Stallone and it's uh, Peace in Our Life. Doing, um, hello, hello, how are you? Can you hear me? Uh, not too bad, yeah. I can hear you. Hello, Iris, how are you? And uh, thanks very much for taking the time out to do the interview with us. And uh, just to let people know that Iris Mead is another uh, is another participant in in a month challenge in aid of 
the Matter Foundation, uh, an event that's going on throughout the month uh, to raise money for a great cause. So I suppose, uh, Iris, welcome welcome to the podcast. And uh, how are you today on day, day two of the challenge? I'm good, Aidan. Thanks. I'm just waiting on the rain to pass up here now in Dublin. So I'm a bit of a snowflake. Haven't got out as yet, but uh, I will. Um, yesterday was a nice day, so I got out and got the just the four miles done, so it was great. Thanks. And how are you doing? Not too bad. No, not too bad. I think I think the the main thing about it is getting the first day over you, and then uh, once the first day is over, then it kind of it's not too bad for the rest for the rest of the month. So uh, yeah, I did um I did uh, two walks yesterday myself. I did uh, three three point one five miles in the morning and. Myself and the mate went for a walk then in the afternoon and did four point well nearly five miles. So, uh, yeah, it's good. You know, the the the, the feet kind of ache for a while, but uh, they're not they're not too bad. But it's uh, it's 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 a great cause and, and things like that. So, could you tell us your your story and your background and uh, your reasons for doing for doing this great um this this great challenge. I will indeed. Well, this is the fourth time I've done it now, Aidan. Um, I started last year with the hundred, uh, the 10,000 steps for the month of June. Um, and the reason how I've come to be involved in this is um, I'm, at, I'm under Dr. Lambert currently at the moment in the Matter Hospital, um, who's treating me for uh, Lyme disease. So um, obviously now with AI on our phones, because obviously I mentioned the matter to somebody, uh, the challenge came up in the Facebook feed. So I said, God, that would be a great thing to motivate me because I was already building the steps up. And uh, with Lyme disease, you have chronic fatigue. And uh, that was one of the symptoms very early on. In, in with the disease so I was kind of building up trying to find a baseline and building up rather than having like doing too much and crashing and burning so anyway last June then um, I started with the 10,000 steps and it's led on from there uh, coming back for more each time of course I walk I don't run the challenge um, but I hope in time that I will be able to get back running um, doing it that's it. Well, great, great. So that's great, and fair play to you. That that the fact that you have Lyme disease and and you're you're actually going to a consultant in in the Matter Hospital that has a uh, that that that's close to your heart. So and it's it's even more motivating for you then. And uh, yeah, that, but um, I suppose could you tell us a bit more about the the care that that your consultants gives you, and uh, I suppose the assistance and services and the help that you've been receiving because. Uh, you know, you're you're very good, uh, despite ha- having the, the that condition that that you're well able to do it. And I suppose it was it was key to start off something small or whatever, and uh, by by doing the ten thousand steps challenge, and now going on to this. So, uh, well, I'd like to start off by wishing you all the best for the for the rest of the month and fair play to you. Ah, uh, thanks, Aidan. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a long journey. Uh, I fell ill in two thousand and eighteen. Um, with gallbladder bladder problems and then when I was in hospital with that, that then the whole Lyme disease kicked off so I had a lot of time of uncertainty and not knowing uh, what the disease was um, until I heard the Joe Duffy show and some other Lyme sufferers and then I seen a documentary living with Lyme 
uh, on RTE and it just struck a chord uh, even though results in Ireland had come back that I hadn't got uh, Lyme um, so so um, the documentary anyway pointed out that uh, German labs and stuff so I got the bloods done and, and that and Dr Lambert uh, being in, the infectious disease consultant there in the matter he's the only one in Ireland actually looks after Lyme, Lyme patients and um, so after getting the uh, bloods done and tested and found out just that's what I did have, um, I was referred to Dr. Lambert and um, I'm not in the main hospital himself, but in these rooms and that. And he looks after a, a lot of Lyme patients here in Ireland um, because a lot of people are unaware of the disease and People don't think they can get it, but uh, I obviously got it. I lived in Wexford for a time and I was doing the garden and um, I obviously got bitten. I think it was around 2013. I'm not sure. Had small symptoms, but no doctor ever kind of put them all together. So um, it was a big revelation to get the results back um, for the antibodies. So, yeah, the matter, as I say, I had no kind of connection with the matter prior to to this. And um, I say Dr. Lambert looking after a lot of patients. Of course, he's, he's, he's involved in the COVID, looking after COVID patients now on the front line as well. So he's very busy. But um, obviously, my treatment involves some antibiotics um, for long periods of time, different combinations to get the combination right. So it's quite hefty treatment. And uh, with the walk, and I found that when I take the medication in the morning and stuff, if I do get out, um, I kind of, it obviously circulates the blood around the body and gets the tablets. So I actually feel less ill with the antibiotics by by moving my body and um, I suppose as well like for mental health um, going from somebody that was very active I, I like I was a highly active parent I ran I know you're involved with the sports uh, injuries and also I ran for Denar Harriers um, they were in Island Bridge originally but now they're in Chapel Lizard so I ran for them competitively in my younger days so I was kind of very active person so to be kind of wiped out with the thing like chronic fatigue that was a bit kind of um, heartbreaking and um, was I going to recover and all that kind of thing so the 100 miles or the 10,000 steps with the matter has really given me something to focus on in the months, particularly that we have this challenge. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to do other ones. And as I say, maybe possibly run later ones when I do uh, get over the whole battle. That's it. Well, fair play, because I suppose you probably do find that uh, doing, the, as you just said there, that the, uh, you know, doing the walks and doing the walking is a is a huge help. And uh, I suppose, you know, the um the first the, the fact that you uh, you have the, the condition as well, it makes it, uh, you know, it gives you more of a reason to want to do it. So it's kind of ben- beneficial in, in a lot of ways because. You're you're doing walking, so you're getting healthier. Um, I suppose it it helps energy wise as well, and uh, great for the movement of of uh, you know for the body and the whole lot. And uh, also at the same time, you're you're um raising some some great some great uh, some money as well. And I, I suppose you you're you're getting great support as well from family and friends. And I suppose you know on uh, 
your donation page as well. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, unfortunately, I'm not in work uh, at the moment. So, obviously, it's my Facebook friends and, as you say, family um, have been donating. Obviously, I'd like the donations to be a lot more. But because it's my fourth challenge, like, I have kind of exhausted <laughs> a lot of my friends yeah. donating. So, on the first challenge, I obviously got more donations than I do uh, for I have done so far on this one. So I am hoping as time goes on, of course, you know, once the challenge starts, the donations kind of seem to come in a little bit better. And like, you know, I mean, I know people have so many charities that they give to today and um, it's a hard to decipher which ones you want to give to and not give to. But uh, even a small amount, as I say to my friends, a couple of euros or whatever, every little bit helps. And we're such a big community, like, as you know, Aiden, like on Facebook, the group that we have each time these challenges come up the support and the group is just fantastic and the motivation for everybody so it's every little helps really I don't raise thousands or anything in ways I wish I was doing the challenge and back at work because I definitely would get more support uh, if I was in there uh, with work but unfortunately that's not the case at the moment but I I definitely will see this as a long-term uh kind of doing these challenges and uh, supporting money for the hospital and all the good things they do for all types of patients. Um, we see so many people have gone through the hospital system there and it's the door is open to anybody that needs the care and the great things that they've used all the money for, like I've seen that the challenges from June and the challenge from November and so forth and all the great things that uh, they do in there with the money uh, that's raised from us all and David Burns of course uh, running these challenges, it's great support. So I wish I might my donations were more. And if anyone would like to donate to my page, that'd be great. Um, but anyway, it's about doing it for all sorts of purposes, really, which is which is fantastic. And I suppose really the, the whole thing about the group is the great support that we get from from each other. And of course, David as well, uh, doing doing great work there. If anyone has any questions, you just go and ask him the questions. And he, you know, he's very quick at getting back and very helpful and uh, always will, always available to answer questions. And that. Uh, but like you said there, the, the support we get from each other in, in the group as well is, is great. And especially now that the challenge has started, you know, sometimes you know, it's raining outside and you might say, oh, I don't really feel like going out today. But then you, you kind of think of the patients and, uh, you know, the patients and the nurses and, you know, everyone giving up their everyone giving up their time or dedicating their time to, to helping others, which is a, a huge thing as well. So it's uh, it, that, there's, that, there's a great sense of t togetherness. Oh, definitely a great collaboration. I'd recommend anyone to look into these challenges and partake in them because, and especially as well, like for everybody's overall health, like, you know what I mean? I have the Fitbit uh, that I use and like definitely when I'm doing a consistent amount of walking, um, my heart rate is definitely better from it. 
um, it goes down, you know, because there was a few months in between after, say, the June challenge and all that. I kind of wasn't as motivated because I wasn't in the group and um, and that kind of thing. And the heart rate definitely goes up the few notches when you're not doing the activity. So the overall benefit, but the collaboration is great. I love these things. And, of course, I'm in the Lyme community support uh, Facebook pages as well and any other ones that are related to the disease. And they are all great because you can't beat people's experience and people sharing ideas of how to overcome, say, injuries or if they're struggling to get out and people are saying you can do it even a few miles. Like, you, you don't have to get all the miles in one day or one week. You, have, you can spread them and if you have a good day, you can get extra in or if you have a bad day, you can, you know, when I started off... Uh, uh, before I started any challenges as well like as I say I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks at a time and if I even did the slightest little thing um, it, it just was crash and burn so um, it's, it's, it's for anybody that wants to get from a sedentary uh, lifestyle to exercise and it's, it's about even just trying to hit that 10,000 steps a day that they recommend and it helps in so many ways for the body and the mind as I say uh, getting out and I'm lucky where I am I have the Phoenix Park on my doorstep and that and it's a beautiful facility and obviously because of COVID they made some extra walking paths and and that and uh, for people to go up there and get the miles in and of course uh, in the one in the June challenge last year I seen everybody out with our with the orange t-shirts and it was like you could see even though you don't know these people directly like you just knew they're part of this one community that we're all in unfortunately our weather is not conducive <laughs> to the t-shirts unless you are running at the moment uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's great to have that big group behind behind us as well and uh, for a great cause that's it. And uh, last week I, I did an interview with um, with Tom Hickey, who's involved in um, who's involved in the Matter Foundation. He's a communications manager. He's a manager uh, involved in it. And uh, you know, it was a very a very interesting interview. You know, he himself was a patient there as well. He was saying, and uh, he had a he had a lung surgery, and he was on about the great care that he gets from from the staff and the nurses and everyone. Uh, you know, in the hospital, and uh, now, funny enough, he's involved in the fundraising uh, section, which is the the um, Matter Foundation. And uh, you know, he he was telling us about it was very interesting to hear about uh, you know the difference that the funds raised the funds raised make you know from upgrading equipment to upgrading wards. I suppose even to you know for helping to care for the patients, but also. Services that they provide for the for their families as well. It's uh, it's an overall thing as well. So it's uh, it was a very interesting insight from that point of view because I mean I I speaking to the yourself you're you're you've been you're a patient there yourself so you've that first hand experience. So like from from interview from speaking to other people like each one has their own way of doing it. They either know someone. 
that has been a patient in it or they just they just like to do to help out a to help out a great cause. So it's uh, it's something it's a, it's an amazing Exactly, exactly. Say. And it like it get like the money gets those extra things that they okay, they get the basic funding for the fundamental things, but it's just going that extra little mile to make uh you know, you're ill and you need that extra bit of things that can make it a little bit more easier when you are in the hospital as I say I've been lucky I haven't been a patient within the hospital itself I just go to see Dr Lambert who does Trojan work there for lots of different patients with infectious diseases uh, throughout the city and people come from far and near uh, to, to come and see him there and, and, and get better and see results and I certainly have uh, made great leaps and bounds in the last I was with him since January last year so I'm just over a year with him and without him God knows where I'd be I probably wouldn't even be physically moving at all um, with him so it's make it's going that extra mile with the challenges and the donations to make that little bit more comfortable for people that have the experience with the hospital itself and um, it definitely makes a difference and we've seen like all the different things that they buy like or different things they do in the rooms uh, you know for the patients and uh, it's amazing work that's been done there behind the scenes once everybody like us have collaborated to get those funds up you know I, 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 w- I would have normally done volunteering work with different organisations but had never kind of done challenges in order to raise funds and it goes all the money goes directly to the hospital and we, we don't have any deals with the money it just goes directly into their funds and then they you know uh spend it in whatever way they need to for the patients which is great and as you say everyone has a story to tell no matter what you know and um but uh i like and for me like being talking to yourself even aiden like just to make awareness for lyme disease because i never had heard of what Lyme disease was. I was ignorant to that fact because we didn't really talk about it in Ireland, but it is prevalent and there's a lot of people suffering and not knowing that they're suffering from that and blood tests here in Ireland won't show up anything uh, in order to tell you that you have it. So you're kind of left and you're, you're, you know, GPs can tend to think people are not right in what they're saying and it turns out that you're um, you know, validated when you get your results and you say, gosh, I knew, I just knew in my own gut feeling that there was something there um, that you couldn't pinpoint. So for me, it's a double a double thing, you know, and, and it makes me then happy that I can be partaking in a group whilst I'm not, obviously, because I'm still in recovery and it's part of my own recovery, recovery goal uh, was to do these to kind of build it up and um, if I don't walk one day even like if I have a bad day or I'm having a couple of days I kind of leave it and I rest the body and then when I am able to go a little bit extra then on another day then I'm able to make the miles up like it's you know what I mean it's not a strict thing and um, 
You can make up the miles just even walking around your house uh, once you have your little pedometer counting your steps. So it's, you know, for anybody that's wanting to take part in these challenges, it's not a, a you know, we, we see we've, uh, there's all levels of people that take part in the challenges from the professional runners to the, you know, intermediate to beginners, walkers and so forth. And it's open to everybody. And that's the really nice thing about us, you know. That's it. And uh, how, how have you been finding the walk when, when you can do it? Do you, do you find us uh, very good and you, you feel good after us? And of course, you know, I suppose that the key things for walking or, or running will be, you know, before you go, it's warm, warming up and stretching and uh, and uh, also keeping hydrated and warming down then when you're finished. Uh, but you, you do get, uh, I suppose sometimes you, you, the, the muscles feel achy, but, uh, but you, what overrides that is the sense of satisfaction of having done walk. Exactly. Walk well, I find well. routine, you know what I mean? Like, because as I say, I went from somebody overnight working full time to absolutely just having to say, I need to stop. I need to get better. I need to take the medicine. I need to look after my body. And I just had to make that decision about work. So uh, it's, and, and what I found is it has been a good routine, as you say, getting out, getting out into the fresh air as well. And I know it's difficult in these times with COVID to, it's, it's hard to motivate yourself for anything at the moment. But uh, I found that once I got into the routine, you kind of miss it when you don't go or you feel guilty that you can't uh, uh, go um, so like uh, definitely it's great for building that routine and it's and breathing the fresh air and there's less traffic on the road and all that anyway so uh, it is fresh air out there and um, if you have some nice walks like I'm lucky we have paths up here in Dublin and stuff so it's it's fairly stay safe to be able to just go around uh, a few laps on a walk you know but uh, overall definitely the benefits outweigh uh, anything else that's it and i suppose would you like to give uh, a shout out to anyone uh while, while we're chatting there, do you want to say hello? Or give uh, well, just time? everyone that's doing the family and friends and everybody that's donated so far, I'd like to thank them and uh, everybody in the in the, the 100 Mile community and David Bourne and yourself as well for highlighting the, the challenge and the good work of the matter. And uh, Dr. Lambert, of course, my um, hat's off to him and uh, just everybody in the Lyme community. TikTok is the uh, Lyme community uh, Facebook page as well and um, they're phenomenal with supporting anybody that has Lyme disease or has uh, is caring for anybody with Lyme disease too so um, there's so many people doing great work out there and with, with the COVID now and um, the long-term symptoms like you know all this fatigue and the different things that people are being left with after they have had the, the, the COVID well hopefully that will open the door for other people with 
illnesses that had infections and have chronic fatigue and those debilitating uh, problems afterwards, cognitively and everything, uh, that that will open the door for more research and help uh, other diseases that that, that is quite uh, not known because they're less important uh, or seen as less important. So hopefully uh, the COVID and what they'll learn from that research will uh, pave the way for Lyme sufferers here in Ireland as well. So there's so much can be done, you know. That's it. And uh, so listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do the interview with us and uh, the best of luck with the rest of the challenge. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of have two challenges between challenging the, between recovering from the Lyme disease and also doing the challenge. But I suppose, you know, the walking will benefit. So uh, we, we might we keep in touch again uh, yeah, down the line and see how you're getting on. In, uh, yeah, very thanks a million, Aiden. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Now talk thanks to you again. Bye-bye. Bye, thank you. Bye, bye, and that's Iris Mead who's participating in the uh, the 100 miles in a month challenge in aid of.
Hello. I don't know how you're doing, man. You're very welcome to this podcast. And uh, just to let the listeners know, today I'm interviewing um, Nuno from Nuno Carvalho from the uh, from the Assurance from the Assure Coaching Football Coaching Academy. Hello, Nuno. How are you? Hello, Aiden. How are we doing? Not too bad. No, not too bad. Great to to finally meet you. I, I heard so much about you from. Uh, from from Jamie and I suppose that that's a really a good point uh, to start on just to give us a bit of background about yourself and uh, I suppose how you and uh, how you and Jamie Barris um, teamed up and became I suppose good friends and then uh, fellow you know you got together as coaches and I suppose I've been working together ever since yeah uh, me and Jamie we met years ago over six seven years ago now on FA first aid course um, that we were doing and uh, since then we start um, messaging about football we kind of like hit it off straight away from the beginning start talking about potentially doing something working something together for the future in terms of our football coaching careers and we we just kicked off and we started off uh, really well and last year we managed to gather a team and it's good to have that that sort of impact in the football football side of things that you normally don't get the first first impressions really good so we just hit it off really that's it and i suppose really that's that's the key when two coaches are working together or a manager and a coach is working together that that's where the, the friendship side comes in but also two of you you kind of think alike as well and uh, but also you have that thing where you can you know if if you have one thing to say, you know, you fit, you, you know, Jimmy is an, an approachable guy, so he might have a, a decision or um, he might say, right, well, this is where we're going. But if you have another idea of something that, you know, you feel you can contribute, he'll, he'll take that on board. And I suppose that's what's key to working so well together. Absolutely. And um, the fact that um, I've worked with so many different managers throughout my coaching career. Um, and I can say uh, that Jamie was the one that actually had that connection in terms of our philosophies, the way we approach the players, the way we think about the football game as a whole. Uh, It's massive for me to think that, oh, you know, we can actually do something really good here uh, going forward. That's it. And I suppose that that's the key. You know, you have so many different types of players in the game, you know, some some have great ability and can take things straight away and, and are naturally gifted. But then there's others that might be so might be so gifted, but uh, you know, maybe other coaches or other clubs might uh, disband with the, those players like that because because they're not uh, as talented as other players. But I suppose the philosophy that G have is not to do that. Instead, instead to try and develop the player and develop the skills. Where, where that player has the weaknesses and that player down the line, um, you know, I, I suppose it's about believing in the player and, you know, going through the different skills and getting them to practice and practice and down the line that it'll all come together for the player and, uh, you know, eventually that player will become a very good player and uh, so a, t- a player that uh, clubs will be very interested in. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And hence why me and Jamie, we came up with the idea of adding on to our coaching careers and br- bringing a short coaching into into the cards as to improve, um, not just improve 
um, the skill and the ability to 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 these players that they need, especially in these particular terms. Is but the mental side of things, especially in the situation that we're in at the moment with COVID, there's a lot of impact on the mental health. And I think uh, Shaw will definitely provide that escape route to certain players that really in need to get out and do some one-to-one coaches coaching with us. Um, that that definitely definitely has a, a massive impact for us because it's very re- rewarding to see that that happening. That's it, and I suppose the the key, it, it's great to to see that. And uh, you know, there's but there there has been uh, an awful lot work an awful lot of work put in be, be by yourself and um, and Jamie as well. Like it's not just as it's not just as easy just it's not as easy as just saying all right, yeah. We're going to advertise for players to come to our academy, and next thing there you go and finding uh you know from from a, par- a pitch in the park or something. It's uh you know there's there's a lot of work behind the scenes that you that yourself and uh, Jimmy had to put in. Like there's uh, I suppose insurance, advertising, setting up a website. Um, I I suppose uh, you know getting players on board. Um, organizing because you, you work with different levels, you work with teams, you work on one to ones, you work with junior players, underage players, and I suppose amateur senior players as well. So that's all te- that's all taken into account. So there's a lot of organizing, and uh, I suppose months and months of dedication and hard work to get it where to where it is today. It's been it's been taking quite a long time to get these um, organized and trying to be as successful as possible. I mean, Jamie and I, we put a lot of our time and effort into getting this right. At the moment, we're involving more coaches into our assure um, backroom uh, so we can get more coaching sessions done across the UK, not just in our area. So we're getting more coaches involved to expand, obviously, the, uh, the assure coaching side aspect of things. We're getting good reviews. Um, we have the shop which it gives us all these uh, logos into our brands so people can go and buy it just for, for the training session if they want to. We have competitions going on. So there's a, there's a lot going on still to develop. But as it stands, uh, from the beginning of Assure Coaching, it's been very successful. We've been getting a lot of bookings, a lot of inquiries, but also we have to manage accordingly to the situation. So at the moment, we can only do one-to-ones. We can only do uh, adult level. Uh, we can't go to obviously younger generation. But the grassroots has been impacted massively. So that's our focus now: is to get these sort of players, these type of players, these these quality players coming in to try to go back to their football um, football mindset and try to get out of the house as well, which is very important. That's it, and I suppose I, I just I was just doing a bit of research in that, and of course uh, on Twitter and various things because you you have some great uh, you have some great um, social media pages to to get your your name and brand out there. But I just noticed as well uh, as one of your posts and a, a lad that I uh, interview regularly, uh, I've interviewed twice or that you know for for a podcast is Chris Manangu. Uh, a very good player. I've I've um, interviewed. I've spoken to him twice or three times. A very nice, down to earth guy, and a player. A player with a lot of potential. And I, I see that he has uh, 
he's one he's one of your clients as well. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so Chris came um, came to us um, directly to Jamie, and we organised a, a certain session particularly for him. Now, he's he's one of those top players that we we have currently, and he gives us a massive massive uh, scope uh, to coach with. So we have obviously specific training sessions accordingly for these sort of players. So players that come to us with um, experience of pro level football, we need to obviously adjust accordingly to their level. And again, we always going to be tailored these sessions regarding the different ability levels that the players will have. So in that respect, uh, fantastic, fantastic player. And we're definitely going to be, be able to try to improve him and at the same time try to bring more more to that sort of level playing field into our coaching sessions. That's it. And I suppose the, the, the fact that he's signed up with Chi as well and I'm sure he's very happy with the, with the quality of coaching he receives from yourself and uh, Jamie. And I suppose from that then he'll, he'll, uh, he'll attract more, uh, more clients to you as well because if he's happy, which he seems to be, uh, with the quality of coach, and he he go and he'll tell other people. He say, you know, give this this, uh, you know, football academy, um, school academy of coaching, um, a try, you know, and that that's uh, that's quite good, and it's a good way of, I suppose, word of mouth is the best way of, uh, of putting it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously, the more the more uh, players will will come to us for one to ones, the more scope for expansion we'll have. Obviously, we have a very clear idea, me and Jamie, about where we want to go, where we want to take um, the business. Um, ultimately, we want to take it all up to the UK level and expand. So grab certain a core of coaches that we already have and expand through there so we can progress into the north of the country. Uh, we already have coaches in the south uh, in Hampshire, um, Wilshire, we're working on someone from Devon in Cornwall. So it, it, it is a lot going on still. It's just this is just still a very, very uh, small part that we're doing, but it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be massive uh, what we're working towards to do. That's it. And I suppose um where are you actually based? Like where where do you do you, yourself and Jamie actually work from? And do you do you travel like to schools to um do you travel to clubs or do players individually come to you or can you go to them or what way is, uh, is it done or are you flexible in that sort of, in that sense? So we tend to be as flexible as possible. Obviously, we discuss this with uh, with the players in question. We we ask them. Uh, some of them don't drive. Some of them drive. So there, there's always that aspect of the things that we need to take into account when we do one-to-one sessions. But we are very flexible, quite pretty flexible with uh, with the players and we do tend to reach out normally around the Hampshire, Surrey area. We normally cover that area anyway, but we have other coaches that cover Middlesex, um, most of London as well. Um, Wilshire, we're working on, like I said, uh, the regions uh, to expand into possibly Kent and West Sussex. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's always that flexibility side of things that we have to have as coaches, especially when yeah. we're starting up, um, coaching side aspects like this but um, in due course obviously we will be more uh, specific in what we want to achieve 
as an individual for each player. So uh, depending on their requirements, obviously. That's it. And I suppose really it goes back to the philosophy of like Rome wasn't built in a day. So like you'd be doing other, you'd be developing, uh, you know, year on year as well and expanding on an ongoing basis as well. So that's great uh, that, you know, you're showing some great ambition as well. And uh, I suppose, but for anything to be, to be a success, you know, you have to have the right people involved. And obviously that's yourself and Jamie, but also, also the other, the other coaches throughout the other regions that, that you've just said, you know, it's key that you have the right people, uh, you know, and that those, that those coaches are providing quality, you know, quality uh, coaching, which seems to be the case. Absolutely. And um, Jamie and I, when we talked about um, developing further the, the company, the business is, it was all about not just outfield players. So we have specific goalkeeping coach that we can provide as well via Mark. Dan gives us a different side aspect of his uh, coaching side aspect as well. David, we got Sam and George as well. So we got a whole scope of specifics, even if we want to work on specific, or if the players want to work on specific side of strength and conditioning, we will try to accommodate and see if we can get a specific coach involved in that player. So to make it a little bit more uh, tailored for the needs of the player. That's great. And I suppose really another thing alongside that is, uh, as we know, um, Jamie is in chair, is uh, a client of 442 Sports Management, uh, Sports Management Group. And of course, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, one of the partners as well of 442 Sports Management as well. And I think there's the whole thing around that is the positivity and great vibes. And uh, so as well as that, uh, you know, Jamie asked me to, to come on board to be one of the sports partners as well, and it's it's a great um, it's a great partnership that you your partners with well four four two sports management and our myself as a AR Sports Therapy Clinic, and uh, it all it all helps to team together and promote each other and things like that, and uh, you know it's a I suppose that's what uh, is part of the success is you know teamwork as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and the the um, the fact that. Um, the media coverage from Fufu to um, and Jamie being involved directly with them, yourself and other entities, obviously will provide that scope for development in the near future. Like I said, this is just just the beginning. There's great things coming up in the future. Uh, obviously, with um, with uh, this this COVID situation, it's been a hit on everyone in regards to their jobs, their livelihoods, etc. But football will have to carry on. And even though grassroots level is being overlooked uh, in regards to football, uh, only elite football can provide something for the football community at some point. We're still very keen to provide that side aspect to the ones in need. So we're here to help, we're here to develop, and we're here to progress and develop in the future. That's it. And I suppose really there are a lot of coaches out there or a lot of clubs that are very quick to dismiss grassroots football. But really, in fairness, from a player point of view and a coach's point of view, you, you know, that, that's where it all begins for players. I mean, if there was no grassroots level, there'd be no players. Yeah, exactly. And the, the fact that um, me personally, I feel really, really downhearted by the whole situation. And it affects us in different ways, uh, but we have to 
to focus very, very much on what we're trying to achieve and what we want to achieve, what we want to be involved in. Because at the end, it will be rewarding. It is rewarding what we do. And this is fantastic when we see a player out of, out of a, coming out of a, one of the sessions on one-to-ones and really pleased with our work. Uh, grassroots, like I said, has been overlooked. Uh, it, it, it's affecting thousands and thousands of players across, across the, the country and across the world. And we can't, we can't let this stop here. We have to find a way to get everyone involved again even if it's just one-to-ones for now, future group sessions. But as soon as we can, we'll try to provide all that. That's great. Well, uh, so I suppose, uh, you know, is, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to or say hello to or uh, mention before we go? Well, I'll, for you first, uh, I want to thank you for having me on on this uh, on this post. And a big thank you to Jamie to bring me on board and, uh, pleasure to be working alongside you all these times. Um, no problem. Well, thank, think, thanks very much. Yeah. And all the best. <laughs> no problem. Thanks very much. And uh, I think what we do is we make this kind of a regular feature. Uh, we say maybe once a month or something, and just just to give the listeners uh, an idea of how you're progressing and and how things are developing, because it really is a a great project. And I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you're really looking forward to the future uh, for uh, a sure, a sure um, football coaching as well. And long may it continue. Thank you so much for having me. No Pleasure. Thanks very much. And that was Nuno Carvalho, a coach, a coach at uh, a sure coaching in the UK. Everywhere I go mm-hmm.
Hello, Daryl. How are you doing? And you're welcome to this week's um, podcast. And just to let the listeners know, we're talking to Darren Emsley again, uh, the referee from uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, this is the second podcast with him. So I suppose, um, Daryl, we're focusing more on the uh, the mental health side of uh, refereeing. And something. this is an area where, like, I suppose we'd have a mutual kind of uh, experience um, on both sides from your side, of course. You're dealing with players. <laughs> I suppose it's hard to keep it's hard to keep everyone happy when you on the two teams. But uh, yeah, it, it is um it is a position that involves a lot of and that can take its toll on on a referee's health, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So uh, uh, what's what's uh, go through your experience um, from when you started off refereeing up until now? Well, uh, you obviously come across uh, different sort of different personalities which is probably one of the the nice things about the game even though sometimes you can be uh sometimes you can be put in the spot especially with especially in the senior leagues as well too i've actually found that when you're doing kids football sometimes it's the parents like like i said before sometimes it can be the parents that can uh have the influence on the coach and then the coach has the influence on the kids in a bad way uh but when you're doing like amateur league football or junior, or senior junior league football, it can be, it's it, it's more the, it's more the players than anything else, and sometimes it's it's just down to uh, their passion, their love for the game. Um, but again, the bell was well. Some players will agree with your decision. Some some players obviously won't agree with your decision, regardless if it's an offside or a wee simple kick for a foul. It, uh, sometimes it just. It really just depends on the player. You'll get a player that's really fired up and ready to go, and then you'll get the player who who just lo- loves to play the game, just wants to have ninety minutes on the pitch. That's so. That's one of the one of the nice things about uh, you know you know uh, you're coming across different personalities, and that's where you're learning. You you learn, especially as a young referee like myself, you learn how to uh, to manage that. Uh, comparing to where I am now. Uh, you could say the player management has gotten a lot better over the over the last five six years of of being in the middle and able to transfer that to being an assistant now. Uh, I've I've only came across maybe two or three times where uh, things when you're trying to you're trying to get your point you're not your point you're trying to get your decision explained across to a player and the player just doesn't want to know. Uh, you've you've two things you either you can either just walk away from that, or you can just, or you can put them in the book. I've done both uh, in my in my past. I, uh, I actually actually uh, walked away the first time, and then booked a player at another match after, like weeks after that. So uh, you do learn from like various experiences what uh, what it's like to what it's like to be. In that sort of environment, managing twenty-two different personalities, twenty-two plus different personalities—not just players, but you're managing personalities. You're, you're obviously, you're trying to be, uh, you're, you're obviously trying to be fair with the teams, which sometimes players don't really. Sometimes players, if they feel uh, your your decisions are are going against them all the time, uh, even though you're you're trying to be as fair as you can. Players will always say you're you're being unfair, ref. You haven't gave us a decision, you know. So you're coming across like loads of different personalities, which is which is good, and which can 
it's just good in a way, but it can have it can have its effect mentally on you afterwards. I've noted uh, which I've, I've sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just thinking there. You know, have you ever seen, uh, you know, like that you network with with the ref with other referees in the, in that division or in the league where uh, you know there's one particular player that plays for one particular team, and we say other players have booked this play the player a lot, and mm-hmm. you know he has a chip on his shoulder because he just seems to be ever you know he's always in the right type of thing, and then. He kind of wonders. He kind of wonders then why why all the refs are booking him. But I suppose in that kind of case, then it's his own fault. It's his reputation going before him. And I suppose from that point of view, if there is other referees that are booking that player because he's a dirty player or for whatever reason, uh, you know, do you, do you network and say like we say, if you booked a player and every time you came across him, he was that he was like that, and he kept persistently fouling, and he was getting yellow cards left, right, and center. Do you network with other referees then and um, to say, right, well, you need to watch this player. He's always getting booked. He has a bad disciplinary record or whatever, you know. I find them to be like this and vice versa. Do they warn you about other players, say other players as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we do actually. Um, there'll be times uh, referees in the same league or in other leagues would, would ask you who have you who have got on a Saturday and then if I mention a various team, uh, uh, they'll they'll t- some sometimes depend on the team and obviously depend on what their what the discipline's like for that team. The the, the other that referee who I'll speak to, they would uh, they would turn around and say just watch out for this character uh, because he he uh, he'll either he'll either be a mouthpiece, a real fired up character where you you really need to manage him. Like, like individually, never mind manage the rest of the team, and you know they'll, they'll tell you like think like sometimes there has been an old ref that's told me about a certain player, and especially in, like when I first started out in the the senior leagues, uh, they have actually told me just what, keep away out in this player. He's doing he, he he's capable of doing whatever it is like. He gets sent off. He's been sent off in so many matches already this season. Uh, he's had a maybe personal hearing against him for whatever that reason. Um, yeah, so uh, there is quite a good, uh, quite a good communication among the among the players or among the referees in terms of like you know support uh, for uh, like in terms of uh, depend on the, the uh, depend on the manager or the the team that I'm. I'm going to be refereeing on Saturday, so yeah, there is like good uh, communication with other referees. Um, and but then there's there's players who you'll who you'll come across. You may people may not say maybe a thing about them, or ref, other referees may not say a thing about about them. But you will always come across a player who's fired up and and ready to go. I remember him. Uh, uh, I remember him a second. Was it my second league game for the Belfast and District Football League? And the uh, I can't remember the team, but the the home team centre back, he was just loud. There was nothing. He was very passionate. He was loud. He wasn't really a great player, and uh, I I remember booking him, uh, literally eight minutes into the first half for uh, just his mouth, and and I remember that, ha- that that's very early to be getting a yellow card, isn't it? Or getting the yeah, like, you know, it is very careful. Yeah, it is, and uh, I mean, usually I don't like to do that. Usually, I like to try and manage the first half, 
uh, a bit better than the second half, but there's times you just have to just bite the bullet and, and put them in the book. And even putting them in the book didn't didn't shut him up. It he kept going on and on. And uh, unfortunately, I had to, I had to send him off. I says I says you've done nothing but shout and moan about anything like about everything I've done. I says you literally. I says have you even passed the ball once? I said, yeah, I don't think you have in the whole entire game. And yeah. and uh, I remember him saying, well, you're not up to scratch and, and whatnot. And I'm like, well, that's your opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, and I said, sadly, I said, my, uh, my referee mentor is the only opinion that matters. And I walked away. I remember walking away. And afterwards, he came over and he apologized for... He's like it's he's like it's in me, ref. Like you know, don't take it personal. I says I don't take it personal. I used to take it personal, but I don't take it as personal. And that like especially then I didn't take it personal. But there is, but there was a time when I was going through that that bad spell, and it, the even doesn't matter what a player said, it was becoming more personal than probably what it should have been. So. You do you do learn from stuff like that as as well, but I just remember that player. He just wouldn't give over. Like I'm like, I'm like it's eight minutes into the game and he's got himself booked. All he's done is shout and moan and and uh, even his own players come over and said to me, "Ref, just send him off. We don't need him." And I'm like, I've never heard that before. And my especially in my time as a referee, I've never heard I've never heard that in football. Like team like their own team saying about the player just to send them off because they don't need him because that's all he does but would that not be would that not be where the where the the manager should come in or the the coach could should come in and say listen you've had enough of this you have to come off because i mean if he got sent off there'd be a man down and you know because they're because the coach didn't act on time and take him off Mm-hmm. got sent off and as a result because because of the I'm not blaming I'm not specific but I'm just saying in that particular instance because the because the coach didn't take him off he and then he continued and he was sent off mm-hmm. that means that player the, the team are down a player and it makes it very difficult for the team unless they're an extremely brilliant team or something that'll be able to play play on and do well with it even with even with 10 men but uh, you know, it is very tough when you're down to 10 men to kind of manage a game from there because especially if the team that you're playing are a, are a better team or whatever, it's it's bad enough if, you know, it's, it's bad enough if you're not playing well, but then when you are when you have a man sent off because he has a big mouth or something, mm-hmm. oh. um, it, makes it, it makes it even worse. Yeah, 100%. Uh, there, there has been coaches, especially in the past, who have. The, the vac- I've had one coach say to me, well, I'll just bring him off. And uh, I was like, well, that's that's not my call. That's your call. You're the you're the coach at the end of the day. But there has, uh, but yeah, I, I do agree with what you just said there. Um, I could not think if he's if he's at such a mouthpiece and he's been booked so little, so early on in the game. Uh, you know, you'd not think I'm I'm just I just need to risk it and bring him off and bring somebody else on and change the team around because at the end of the day, it's like you say, he ended up getting himself sent off for 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 his mouth. And you know, end up, end up, you could say maybe ruining the game for his team because his team, from what I remember, were I think they were drawn one each at that stage. Like it was a really fast-paced game, um, or they just scored and then I'd sent them off. 
from what I remember that game. Yeah. But yeah, it's it 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 is it does baffle me at times, like especially like if a player's like just all mouth, which you get them yeah. a lot. Uh, if a player's all mouth, uh, sometimes the manager doesn't. Uh, Sometimes the manager just doesn't react because he, he maybe feels that the player is still doing a good enough job, or maybe he hasn't got the backup to bring him off. It, it, you could you could bring it down to a few different reasons uh, why um why maybe didn't bring him off. But uh, like you say, he ended up getting himself sent off, and ended up his team was down to ten men, and uh, they ended up losing the game. I think it was three one. I think they ended up losing the game. But uh, but but like they say, uh, the day. That team that day did a Jose Mourinho and parked the bus, and and the, yeah. the defended well. And then sixty odd minute in, that other team, uh, the away team scored their second goal, and which was uh, unfortunate because the home team had had defended really well, considering 10, 10, 10 men on the pitch. That's it, because I mean it's uh, you know it, it is a big risk when a player gets uh, gets sent off so early in the game. But I suppose from 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 your point of view, since you've started refing, are are there any kind of decisions or matches that really stick out in your head and that you really um, you feel was kind of a low point in your refereeing career? Uh yeah, of two. Um, what well, uh they they were both in uh, twenty nineteen. And I was in the down area winter league football, winter football league. That was the league I was, I was uh, allocated in, and uh, it was uh, the match was uh, I can't remember the two teams, uh, but the home team, let's just say, were they were very feisty, and their captain ended up getting sent sent off in the second half because of a decision. I gave a throw in. It was a simple throw in. Uh, the ball. I don't know whether it was filled or not, but the ball came off the the home team left back, and uh, it uh, let's just say I gave the throw in, and as I went to move away, the there was a few decisions prior to the, the reason the captain came straight up to me, and I was about to book him because he uh, I was about to book the player, and but then whenever whenever you use foul and abusive language. Uh, towards a referee, it's an immediate red card. You, it's you have no choice whether you, whether a referee can maybe try and manage the situation or not. It's a red card through and through, and uh, the captain ended up getting sent off seventy minutes in. And uh, I've had uh, my second game. It was it was very early on. Uh, the home again. It was the away team manager this time. Felt that I was uh, maybe I was being a bit too too unfair to them and more fair to the home team, which of course wasn't the case. And there was a few decisions that maybe I should have gave the, the away team, but I didn't. And uh, that then the manager, the manager, of the away team erupted after I think it was a cha- it was a certain challenge, and uh, I gave the file. I could have played the advantage and seen what happened, but I seen the way the challenge was. And I booked the player for the challenge. It was a booking, like it was no doubt about that. And again, the away team manager just erupted. And I've had I've I've had in the past like a few uh, coaches knock my door in the dressing room after the game. And I've had that yeah. I've had that before a few times. Uh, and I've I've had to call either the either the police or I've had to call actually my dad. And uh, that. Yeah. Uh, at times, like because my dad used to take me to the matches before, uh, before I, 
uh, obviously, uh, when I, the league I was in at the time, there was some games that were way out of the way, like like Wedderburn up in Finnegy, for an example. Yeah. Uh, that's like a couple of buses. So my dad used to take me uh, the various matches that were out of the way, and then I used to get public transport uh, to the local games. Um, I still do that to this day. I would still get the bus uh, from time to time to local to the games, and uh, I remember having to call my dad one stage. It was a pre-season match. And I remember having to call my dad to the dressing room because the away team felt that they were hard done by. And that was a game actually was being assessed to. So uh, all that didn't really didn't really go down well. And I, I remember afterwards, like especially with those three games in, in mind, I remember afterwards uh, I went, I actually had a bit of a diner because I was con- constantly thinking about the matches, what could have done better, like what should have done, and you know how how could I what could I have done to prevent maybe that that challenge that went in, uh you know so there was a million questions going through my head, and uh, I remember I've spoken to my mentor a few times, and he even said to me to try not and think about it too much, and I remember also doing a like, was it a charity game, uh, I think it was a charity game. And again, the coach wasn't happy with a, with a decision. And whenever I went over to try and sort of speak to him, and whatnot, he just again he just erupted. And uh, and I'm like yeah. I'm like so. And I, whenever I left that match, uh, I, I I was on the bus home, and I was like, I think something there's something more to it because now because I can be, I can actually come across as pretty good player manager like I can talk to the players have a bit of a joke yeah. with them that settles them down you know uh, I can I can relate to some of the players like if, if it's a certain pass or whatever you know I'd, uh, even though I've, even though I didn't play the game uh, like competitively myself I, I played like the game like in terms of five aside seven aside and whatnot just for fun but uh, yeah yeah, those three games in mind, and whenever uh, after that last game, I remember speaking to a, a fellow who who was our allocator for the Giant Area League. Um, I have to give him a big shout out to Jimmy Fagan, absolute gentleman, and um, I must say he's been a he's been a good referee mentor to me over the past year and a bit now since I joined the Giant Area, and uh, even he said to me, well, "Why don't I take a step back for maybe a few weeks?" And just maybe, maybe even go and watch a match and maybe assess the referee, just to yeah. maybe think right, right. Um, is there something that re- that referee is doing that I can maybe bring to my game? Uh, and then those times, I just remember those times. I was that low about it, and I was that down, and that actually that angry about it. That uh, I I took a step back for was a couple. Of, I think it was a couple of months. I took a step back, and. At the time, I was like, I don't want to take a step back. I want to keep going. I want to want to battle through this. But sometimes that step back actually can be more beneficial because it's it's benefited me like hugely since since those games. And uh, I've come across the coach the same coaches again, and nothing's never really been ever been said about those matches. No, sometimes I just turn around and say it uh, was a bad game on my behalf, and then you hold your hand up and. Uh, sometimes you tell the coaches just to what they want to hear. Uh, from my time, it's probably not a nice thing. It's probably not a great thing to say that, but uh, there, especially in my like in my experiences, the uh, 
like when I took that when I took the, that step back, I bought myself a wee notepad and I made it and I made a decision to go to, to try and go to a game each week, uh, and uh, to try try and write who's the referee, as if I was like assessing really like a, like a proper IFA assessor. Only I really only I wasn't, and I would have took down maybe a couple of pointers. And thought, right, maybe I could try and bring that into my game, and that was a great learning process for me because when I come back, uh, the end of August last year, or the second. So would, uh, would you have would you have spoken to the referee? Uh, you know, if you were at a game and you were writing notes down and things like that, it, it, it's good to watch the watch the referee. But w- would you have spoken to the referee maybe after the match and get his thoughts? We say that you'd share your experiences and. You know, obviously every referee has their own approach to it, but maybe, like, you know, it's good to make your own notes, but maybe if you actually talk to the referee as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, he might say, well, yeah, well, this is what I did, and this is what you could the next time if this has happened, this, you know, you could do it that way or whatever. And likewise, you you know, if it was a young referee that was reffing a game that you were, that you were watching, you could, you could help him or you could advise him. So, you know, it'll be a, You'd be helping each other, you know. That uh, have you ever done that kind of thing? I have, and I haven't. Uh, like, there's it uh, really depends on who the referee is. If the referee is a young referee, I don't, and nothing like nothing against the referee. But if it's an older referee, someone who's been about a bit more, then yes, I would. Because, like you say, they, they can give you maybe one or two ways to approach, or maybe one or two, one or two ways to deal with it better than what I did. and and uh, I've, that was another thing that was beneficial to me because I was able to take that advice in uh, various pre-season matches that I did before I t- uh, transferred to the line. That's it. And I suppose really it's, um, you know, that, that that's, uh, I suppose if you had that time back where, where you made those decisions that you were, you were just on about there um, that led to you needing those couple of weeks off, um, if you had that time back and you you were doing those games again, what what would what would the things be that you would have changed that you'd change now? We say if you were able to go back in time, what what would you have done differently in that game, in those games? Um, good question. Uh, I think definitely for the third game, I would have maybe approached the coach a bit better. I felt that uh, I stopped the game when the ball went out of play. And I ran straight over to him, and I think I may have came across a bit, maybe forward rather than being calm. And I, I know that I mean, the, the talk about referees, they need to be you need to be calm and collected as well as uh, being thick skinned, uh, which I think that was something, especially around about the time that I wasn't. I think I was quite forward with like things that I did, and maybe how I managed. Uh, Maybe how I manage the situation. Sometimes it's not what you say; it's the way you say it. Is another another thing I've always learned over the years. But uh, definitely in that third game, uh, in terms of the other two games, um, I don't really think there was much else I could do, yeah, other than probably, yeah, I mean, yeah, other than. I mean, maybe my focus in the first the first two games was maybe a bit off, so maybe my focus I could have. Could have maybe improved my focus a bit better, and who knows if if I had I focused a lot better, I would have maybe got got those those calls early on that maybe wouldn't have led to the managers expressing themselves in the way they did. So, yeah, um, if I was to turn back time, I would definitely 
be a lot more I'm gonna say mature than than what I was back then because that was at the very because those first two matches and then the third match there were sort of the early early stages of me starting to really really doubt myself as a referee and to really doubt my abilities and even though when I was assessed one day for a league game the, the assessor turned around and said to me and he goes believe in yourself and I think that's the one thing back then I didn't really do was believe in myself like I knew I knew how to referee the game it's it's not I'm gonna say it's not rocket sense to referee a game of football but in terms of the, the management side of things like how to manage the players I probably could have managed the players a bit better because after a couple of tackles even though I played the advantage and the led to a goal kicker corner and it, it uh, you could just say it, I probably could have just maybe blew the free kick and just got on with it that way. I probably could. There's probably a few things that maybe would have changed, uh, but I'll probably, I would have definitely been a lot more mature than what I, what I was course, back then. And yeah, yeah, but I suppose really, you know, the the advantage of being a referee, like if that happens in one game, we say this season. And that that mm-hmm. same team are playing again next season. When you come up against that that team, and we say the referee is kind gets kind of prickly with you, he you'll kind of know what he's like. You'll be probably more prepared next for the next time. You'll say right, well, this is what he was like last season. So I'll be I, you're, you'll be better prepared. Is what I mean. You know, for the next time you come across them, you know. And I suppose really, um, with players and managers, you know. A lot of these things are said in the heat at the moment. And I suppose even though mm-hmm. at the time it could be out of embarrassment that the, 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 you know, the player or the coach might say, oh, no, no, they were right. Because it's in the moment and they, they feel embarrassed and say they nearly feel that they have to show that they were right and convince themselves, I suppose, they were, that they were right. But I suppose when they go off the pitch and maybe when they when they kind of think about it, deep down they know they were wrong, but they just wouldn't admit it. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't want to, in front of everyone, they wouldn't have said, you know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had both, if I'm, uh, if I'm honest, uh, yeah. at my early stages of uh, uh, going into the Belfast and District League, which was the first league that I went into when I started to leave, when I left the, the kids' football. Uh, I've actually had a player, you know, he'll come up to me and, you know, yes, he shook my hand and not the start of the game. A lot of players do that. Right, ref, good luck, have a good game. I've actually had players, you know, really bite, yeah. re- you know, really bite their tongue. And then they've come over to me, like, even in the, even at, in the, like, at half time or just before I'm about to blow. And they've come over and shook my hand and said, I'm sorry, ref, I shouldn't have been angry with you. I know you can only give what you say. And they're really... That's it's like you say, it's the heat of the moment and it's just the the wanting to win the game, that's all it is really. Um that's why I don't take it as personal as, as what I rather probably did at the very start, because it's really just their football opinion. I mean, whenever they're they're probably in the bar having a few pints, they're probably sound lads, but obviously when they're on the pitch it's different. You're you're focused on you wanna win the game, you wanna obviously make sure that you have a good game personally yourself. And it's the same as me as a referee. I want to make sure I have the best game possible. I, I want to give 110% every 90 minutes that I do. Especially, and, when, you have a, especially uh, when you have a referee assessor there assessing you. you. You know, you kind of have to, you know, you feel kind of that you don't want to do anything wrong because, you know, you, you might get a mm-hmm. something, for example. I'm not saying that, that that happens to you, but you, you know what I mean? You're, you're kind of more 
weary of your you're kind of more weary when the assessor is in. So from that point of view, you want to have a good game as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the day whenever I uh, the day I, I was assessed, and uh, I think it was a top two game too. I think it was from what I remember. Um, I remember again very early on. I think it was about the fifteenth or sixteenth minute. Uh, away team had to make a had to make a substitution. Uh, one of their centre backs had wrecked his hamstring, so he unfortunately he couldn't play. And they brought on this this big centre back, and I wouldn't like to start a fight with him. He was he was a big dude, like, and uh, you you say to yourself, this guy's gonna have a presence. And he uh he he played a player he played a player on side that that same player the same defender I'm on about he he played a player on side, which led to a corner kick, and he then shouted at me for not calling the offside. But whenever I brought him to the side and told everybody to go away, the captain uh, came over. And uh, the captain, I think, was trying to help words with me, but I then explained to the big fella, he says, mate, you can't just come onto the pitch and do that. You actually just erupted because you played the foul onside. I was like, he was onside, wasn't he? I'm like, I was, with, I was six yards within the decision, so it's not as if I was at the other end of the field. And as he calmed down and as it, I took his name and I booked him for it, uh, I spoke to the captain. I turned around and said, "Listen, try and maintain control of your players because I can hear a few words from other players." I said, "So just try and main- maintain control." I says, "You're the captain. You're leading this team, you know." And, and again, he shook my hand and he he was like, "No problem, Ralph. I'll do what I can." And from then on, then the, the player who shouted at me come over at half time and apologized and uh, said, "He goes off." And after that, that that exact player that I booked was probably the best defender on the pitch by uh, by miles, by country miles. He was the best player, one of their best players on the pitch. That's it. And I suppose really that, that's something that I was going to say. It seems to work really well in rugby where, you know, the player doesn't, or the referee doesn't deal with the player that maybe, uh, we say, did a did a bad foul or anything. He, it, it goes that the referee goes to the uh, the captain and, get, and explains it to the captain. And then the captain goes back to the player and, and puts him into shape, like you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. Gets him to cut himself on, and maybe, maybe that could be something that could be brought into soccer as well, because maybe you know it would take the bit the heat off you. Because I mean, the captain is a good person to go to because the per- the captain is supposed to lead by example. Uh, it's like kind of the manager on the pitch. So you know, mm-hmm. that, do, do you think that that might be something that would benefit the game if that was to have if it was done that way? Oh, 100%. That would definitely would benefit the game. Uh, I think at times referees, uh, from what I, even from what when I was uh, on on my break uh, from refereeing, I've even noticed referees speaking to the, speaking to the captain, saying, "Come on, here, you know, you're the captain here, you're the leader, you know, start acting like it." Uh, although I would I wouldn't use those those choice of words mm. uh, if I'm honest with you, just in case the captain got the wrong idea and. Uh, so, I mean, even sometimes going over and having that chat with the manager, you know, have we worked with him at half time? He's barely a bit feisty. Just have we worked and tell him to calm himself down? I mean, there's only so much control a referee can can have yeah. uh, on a pitch. Uh, but like you say, I mean that. I think in football in general, that would that would be a really good thing because, like you say, in, in rugby, it's down to a tee. Uh, 
where the the, the captain the referee speaks to the captain, uh, telling number fourteen this, and then that's, uh, and then that's that, and then he goes and has a word, and then at, at the, you hardly ever see a peep out of that same player that that maybe maybe tried to have a word with the referee. Uh, but that that type of game management would be good for football. But I don't know if it'll, it'll ever like, especially down the amateur league side of things, where the referee's just on his own. Um, I, th- I think it, it depends on the game, uh, personally, because if it's a derby or something like that or a top two clash, it's gonna be it's gonna be different. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that yeah, that there would def would hundred percent I think would be very beneficial, especially to someone. A referee who's in the amateur league. Yeah, because I suppose really, it's uh, it's not a disrespect to a referee, but here I think if if there's a player that that made a foul or whatever and was feisty, as you say, and maybe you know if you had a word with the captain, the player would listen to the captain mm-hmm. before he nearly before he'd listen to the referee. And I don't mean any disrespect in that comment, but you you know what I mean. A referee or a player might say, yeah. "Oh well, the referee, I don't know him." Blah blah blah. And he might only see he mightn't see it for another six months for when you're referee in another game. So he, you know, he mightn't pass any heat. But you know, if if it's said to the captain, mm-hmm. the captain says it to him. Then you know that the captain is in charge of the team, so the player has to has to cop himself on, or else the the man, the captain could say to the manager, "Take him off. He's going to cost us the game." You know that kind of way. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, um, it, it would be a beneficial thing for the captain to maybe step in a bit more. I'm, I've, I have actually had, it was a North Belfast derby game. Uh, it was a pre-season now, but it was a bit of a derby as well. And uh, the home the home team's captain actually grabbed the uh, the centre-back by the scruff and said to him, listen, you wind your neck in or you know, you know, where, the, you know where the car's parked. Yeah. Uh, and I... And I've never seen—I'd never seen that before in my career. Anyway, I've ne- I'd never seen that before ever. And uh, he, uh, he, he basically turned around and said, "It's not the referee's fault; it's your fault." Yeah. Um, if you know what I mean, he said, "He's like you allowed that to happen." And uh, the, the young centre back at the time actually uh, did sort of still complain a bit, but I felt even then, with the with the learning experiences I'd had, I managed him a lot better because. I probably would have been a bit more forward with a player like with a player like him. I started actually to have a bit of a bit of a laugh with him, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Didn't wind him up in any way, shape, or form, but I still I managed to be able to like maybe get him to smile or a thing. And plus, all this was uh, all this is uh, like all this COVID stuff was was going about. So um, you could turn around and say that's coronavirus anger, you know, like out of that's frustration with the coronavirus, and it then. People would have just, you know, they all would have had a laugh about it, and uh, you know. So I think that's what I think. Like I said, I was able to bring that bit of maturity from back then when I had that spell into that game specifically, because even though it was a it was a preseason game, it was a friendly. Uh, I was still able to bring that in that ma- that management type type of way, and and ended up getting. Well, me and him ended up shaking hands together. Thank you, ref. Well played today, or well done today, or whatever. And sometimes, even as a referee, when you hear that from players, it gives that wee bit of extra, that wee bit of extra encouragement. I'm not saying how, like maybe having your mentor there, maybe having you an assessor there doesn't encourage you. It does because it encourages you to, 
to to know that you're maybe doing well, but there's there's things that you can maybe tweak in your game, or maybe to, you can maybe tweak in terms of your your movement or whatever or your positioning, like anything at all that that would help you improve. But sometimes you know I've had coaches even say I was very well ref, probably one of the best I've had that season, and even here not. That's actually it. Sort of lifts you up a wee bit because it means you can maybe go away and think. I think I had a good game today, even though nine times out of ten I try not to think I like got. Oh, until I sit down and yeah, until I sit down and I say and assess and assess the game myself, like for an hour and a bit. But yeah, sometimes that can be. I can give you a wee bit of a lift. That's it, and I suppose really finally before we. We wind up. Um, are, is there any advice that you'd give to anyone, any young player, or, or sorry, any young, um, any young person thinking of taking up refing, or is in the process of training to be a ref, or is in the early stages of their refereeing career? Is there any advice that you'd like to give there a young ref? Um, there's a few things I could, I could, I could say. Um, just to enjoy every moment on the pitch. Uh, always try and go out. Always try and go out with a smile on your face that you know you're you're doing something good. You're, you've got the best seat in the house. Uh, you've got a very demanding seat uh, on the pitch, uh, but just to, just to go out and enjoy every moment you can. Uh, when if there is a spell that ever comes, you know just to persevere. You know step back, take a few deep breaths. Don't rush into anything. Don't immediately hang up the whistle because. You know, I've seen too many young player, young referees, should I say, do that, and they actually could have went on to have been really good referees, and and they were young enough to to, to learn to learn the trade well, and that to maybe go into the Irish League. I've seen that happening, which has been unfortunate. Um, just just to persevere with, you know, take a step back, uh, learn from your experiences, don't assess your games too much, because that can lead you into overthinking. And just just to try and go out and enjoy yourself as much as you can, and always be open to learning. Sometimes, sometimes uh, being open to learning uh, will benefit you more than anything else. So always be open to learning new things and and just enjoy it. That's it. That might be something that we can touch upon uh, maybe on the next in the next podcast. We can we can do going more in depth into. You know, advice the advice you give to a, a young referee, an up and coming referee, and indeed, uh, I suppose another thing we, we can discuss is uh, retention of referees because maybe you know you'd be saying you know sometimes the, the level of abuse that referees get they might turn around and say oh listen I, I can't take this week in week out and you know there might be a very good referee but because of the level of abuse they're getting you know that they they chuck it in so that that might be. Uh, Maybe something that we can cover in the next uh, in the next podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Listen, thanks very much, Daryl, for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on again. No problem. Thanks very much, and that's uh, Daryl Emsley. Emsley uh, from he's a referee in uh, from the Bell. Some say
just the nature of the beast When you love somebody so passionately Time has a way of stealing That region by your feeling Leaving the asses laying the Those fools of a little faith will never know Those higher places two hearts can go Where time is standing still And love will burn until The heaven and the earth have come and gone This fire inside for you is constant as the northern star And welcome to the listeners as well. And in this podcast, we are we are chatting to Luke Coleman, who is a client of Four Four Two Sports Management Group, and he is a, a an English an English player based in Poland. Hello, Luke. How are you keeping? Hi, Tom. Very well. How are you, Aiden? Uh, yeah. So you you recently um, signed with Four Four Two Sports Management, and. Uh, you're you're based in Poland at the moment. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how how um how you got how you got started in football and uh, your journey your journey so far? Yeah, well, um, just the the usual story really. Started when I was really young. Just fell in love with the game and I've been been playing it ever since. Really, That's just it, can't get away it. from it. It's, uh... <laughs> 
it's a it's a good way of life when when you're mad, when you're really in when you're really into sport and of course it's it's like everything else in life I suppose there's the there's the good side and the bad side to football but uh, you know that that's, I, I suppose you you take that as part of the package but uh, I suppose you know it's like everything else you get out of it what you put into it and uh, you obviously put in you know years of uh, dedication and training and things like that and could you t- tell us a bit about the, the clubs you were involved with from uh, when you started off up until now Okay, well, um, just started off as a local team, really. Um, just playing Sunday league with my friends. Dean, when I, I really started to develop and started to take seriously. That's it, and uh, yeah, so you've been, uh, you know, in British in, in England most of your life. But how are you? How are you finding? Life in Poland and being involved with the team in Poland. What's in uh, Poland? What's the name of the team that you're involved with? Uh, it's uh, Partizan Targowiska. Oh, very good. And uh, what what's life like there? And uh, the training facilities and and the coach and the players. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's brilliant, really. I'm I've I've really enjoyed my time out here. Um, it was quite difficult to start out with, to be honest with you, because I, obviously I left. Uh, everything behind in England. I left my family, all my friends had just started completely fresh and just sort of um, just jumped for it, really. Just just gave it everything I had and just took the opportunity that was in front of me. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's been a great experience for myself uh, playing first team professional football. And uh, I can't wait for the, the next step in my career. That's it. And how long have you been in Poland now? Uh, since July, so around around six months, uh, I was back at home for Christmas, and now I'm I'm back in Poland now. That's very good, and of course that that's nice that you you got home to see your family for Christmas, and uh, of course it's never easy going back, you know, when you're home for Christmas and then you have to go back. But uh, you know you're you're enjoying. I take it you're enjoying your uh, your life there in Poland, and and uh, everyone in the club is very good and things like that. So um, that that that's what's key, and I suppose how how has um how has the 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 whole COVID thing um affected training and matches over in Poland? Well, yeah, it's affected me just as much as it has everyone in England, really. Obviously, there's yeah. um there's restrictions everywhere, and it's really difficult for everyone, and it's a it's a tough time for everyone at the minute. But for myself, obviously, in in Poland, it's it's a lot less um, um, strict, I'd say, as it is in the whole of the UK with the the full lockdown and everything. So it's it's a bit easier over here, but there is still uh, restrictions and uh, COVID tests before training and such. So is is there are matches still going ahead, or is there um, is there a stop to matches at the moment, or what's the situation with matches? Uh, yeah, yeah, they still still go ahead. When I when I first came out in July, we had um, all the fans in for the game, which was good. But then it was about um, September time when um, it was it was behind closed doors, so there wasn't allowed any uh, fans in stadiums, which uh, was a bit strange for me. Um, but it was just something I had to adjust to as well. That's it, and I suppose really it it's. Um... 
I, I suppose it's still even, even though there's no crowds allowed, at least at least games are still going ahead, which is uh, which is a good thing. And how are the team doing in in the league? Um, they're about uh, mid-table towards the lower half of the table at the minute, but um, I'm sure we can turn things around and uh, head back up the the league because there's a good team spirit in the in the squad, and I'm I'm certain that we'll turn things around and get back on the front foot. That's it, and of course that that's that's key to soccer as well, especially at the um, at the pro- at professional level. Is you have to have that belief even when things are seem to be going against you like maybe results or whatever um you know even, even when things are going against you you still have to have that kind that belief and uh, eventually things do turn around like like you were saying and uh, you know that that's what said uh, that that's what can happen but i suppose um tell us a bit more about the management team and the backroom staff and what they what they're like on a daily basis and i suppose your your um, your your average day at, at the club Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, an average day for me would be uh, to get into um, the ground at um, half nine in the morning. Uh, we'd have breakfast there, um, and then from half nine till half ten, we'd have breakfast, and then uh, getting our kit on, getting ready for training, etc. And then uh, quarter to eleven, we're out on the pitch. Uh, we're warming up, just getting the balls knocking around, and then um, eleven up until one. We're we're training, so it's a, it's a good two hour session, and then after training we uh, come in for lunch, and uh, then it's just a bit of free time, whether we want to go into like the common room and uh, play like table tennis or snooker, or what I'd like to do, I, I go in, I go into the gym after training. That's something that I prefer to do myself, just to to go the extra extra mile and just make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can to get in the starting eleven at the weekend. That's it. And I suppose that the, the good thing about the way it's done at professional level is that, you know, the way you're after describing it there, it allows for great bonding among teammates. Uh, you know, you, you get to know, you you probably know your teammates very well, very well by now, but it's, it's key that, you know, there is that kind of time where you can, you have that free time that you can go and play table tennis or you can have a chat with your teammates or whatever, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's essential as well for team bonding as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course I did. Uh, I am very close with all my teammates, even though there is a pretty big language barrier at the minute, but a lot of them do speak English and I am, I've been learning, trying really hard to learn as much Polish as possible just to, to smoothen out the, the barrier between us. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've settled in really well over here. Um, and it, it, it's easy because when you're with a, a group of professionals who are, who are simply here just to, to do the best they can, then there's, there's never really any problems with uh, like making friends and bonding with them because we're a team and uh, you have to be friends with your teammates or you're not going to perform at the weekend. That's it. And I suppose really it's it's kind of it's essential then that you you know, you know, it's good to, to have that side of it. But also then I, I suppose then there's the analysis side of it and, and other aspects of training as well, like I suppose familiarizing your team yourselves with the you know, when you're playing a team every week you have to, you know, do tactics and things like that. So I suppose uh, how do you find that side of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's all in in very big detail. 
And luckily for me, the coach did speak English as well. So he did translate it in for me, um, which was which was very good and made it a lot easier for me to, to understand the tactics and the movements I had to make in the game and what he wanted me to do personally, which which really helped because if he if he hadn't spoken English, then I would have really struggled and maybe hadn't have performed as well as I did. And you're you're an attacker midfielder, so like I suppose, um, what do you feel or what does the coach feel that you bring to that uh, that aspect of the play or that aspect of the tactics? Uh, what what are your key strengths in that area that you you feel you do well? And is there anything that maybe you think you need to develop further? Well, for me, I, I, I just love making things happen. Is that That's how I, I like to put it perfectly. I like um, just getting on the ball all the time, just keeping things ticking in the game, keeping the ball moving, creating chances, getting shots. And just in the, the attacking side of play, I, I love just driving at the defence and maybe playing a pass through to my striker, giving him an easy shot on goal, or me trying my look from distance. I just... I just love making things happen and being creative, and that's where I'm I'm most effective. I think so. That's what I love doing. That's great, and I suppose uh, you you know you, you as as part of that role as well. You 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 know you get a lot of chances for scoring and that. What's your scoring rate like, or have you scored many many this season? Uh, no, no. Un- unfortunately, I'm 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 stuck on the one uh, halfway through the season. Oh. But uh, got six assists as well, which I'm which I'm happy with. So that's but that's nearly uh, that's nearly seven seven goals in total. Yeah, that, that's nearly that that's nearly as important as scoring yourself. And I suppose that because of that, because you're an attacking midfielder, the, the goals will come. And sometimes you know you 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 be on one one goal, and then it could be a while before you score the next one. And then when you get one, then you you, you could end up getting getting five or six or something, you know, over ex- over a certain amount of matches. So I suppose that that's the way that's the way it goes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. The the assists are just as important for me and I'm really happy that I was was able to contribute as much as I could to that. I think I have the, the highest ranking assists halfway through uh for my team and I'm I'm really happy with that. But one thing I, I'd love to um improve is obviously my goal scoring is just to raise a few eyebrows for me I yeah. guess but but really for for that for the position you play and really being assisting is, is nearly as is, is nearly more important than actually scoring although everyone every player wants to score but I, I, that that is as good though isn't it as as scoring when you when you when you an assist when you have an assist in a goal yeah of course they both they both um make me feel good, either a goal or an assist are both just as important to me. Um, but I'm, I, I'm unselfish. I like to see the, the team score even when I'm not involved and I'll, I'll still celebrate just as much because I, I, I just love winning, really. That's it. And of course, uh, your teammates appreciate that side of the game. And uh, yeah, so I suppose really looking at it now... Um, as I said there at the start of the interview, you were you're uh, you've signed up for uh, four four two sports management uh, group as well now, and uh, you know I've I do regular podcasts for them, and uh, yeah, they're they're a good uh, a good company to to be involved with. Like they're they're my sports partners as well for for the sports clinic as well. But um, 
How how do you find being part of the uh, four four two family? Yeah, it feels great so far. I'm 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 really looking forward to to the future being with four four two. And um, as I, I've not been been with the the company for long, but I can already feel that it's a great place to be. It didn't it didn't take me much persuading to sign at all. I was. I was raring to go and really happy to to sign with the agency as I was really impressed with everything that I heard. And it was a no-brainer for me personally. And I suppose from from, from your point of view, you you probably noticed that the one key thing probably for you would have been the fact that, uh, you know, they really, Joe and everyone at 442 Sports Management, they kind of look after your welfare and what's best for you compared to, maybe other agents who are just kind of out for themselves. The more money you get, the more they get, you know, that kind of way. But um, I suppose with Joe, it's kind of, it's about, you know, helping you and what's best for you and uh, what you're looking for out of football and things like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I can I can sense that just from the first week or so that I've, I've been in contact with Joe. And it's great for me personally to hear uh, because that's that's all you want to hear as a footballer is a is a good agent who wants the best for you and not for himself and that's a re- really positive sign so far. Years ahead, so uh, between with four four two sports management and of course your your current club as well, and long may it continue. So listen, th- thanks very much for taking the time out, Luke. I know you're a busy man now, being a, a professional footballer and with training and many other things that you're you're doing so i really appreciate you taking the time out to do it and uh, hopefully we, we can do a, a regular regular updates throughout the year as well and uh, let us know how you're getting on yeah of course thank you for your time yeah, as well i've really enjoyed much. it and that was luke coleman he's a, an english an english player based over in poland
Michael, how are you doing? And welcome to this week's In the Line Out. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's finally come, the Six Nations. And of course, first up for Ireland, they have Wales this weekend. And, uh, you know, th- this is a clash that's usually interesting, that has usually uh, been an interesting game down the years. What's it, what are your thoughts on uh, this one? Well, this is a massive game for both sides because uh, Ireland have finished th- in third place in each of the last two seasons. And Wales are just coming in on the back of their worst Six Nations in 13 years. Both coaches, Wayne Pivak and Andy Farrell, are under big pressure to deliver. And so it's a must-win game for both sides. And for Ireland, there's just no two ways about it. Only a good start is vital because in seven days after they play Wales, they go up against France, who are a much superior opposition. And that's going to be a very tough game. So... There's already big pressure on to deliver, and definitely, if we if we want to give ourselves the best chance possible going up the going up against the French, we need to ease some of that pressure on Andy Farrell, and we need to get a result from the Wales game. And I suppose ahead of that game against France, is this the best type of game in preparation for that game, or would it have been better if there was a if there was maybe a tougher game? But then again, that would have been a tougher start. start. But I suppose a tougher match would have been a better kind of preparation for France? Well, the only tougher game you were going to get was England. So, you know, unless unless they were drawn with England first, then that wouldn't have been possible. Like, they can only play the cards they've been dealt and that's the way the fixtures have been drawn up. So you just got to roll with it. That's it. So I suppose, where are, are the areas of uh, in the Welsh team that maybe the uh, 
the Ireland uh, team can exploit uh, this weekend uh, and uh, get the win. And I suppose, as you were just saying there, uh, Wales's form lately ha- hasn't been the best. So this could this this is a, a very winnable game for Ireland. It is. I would see it as a winnable game. I wouldn't be taking Wales for granted. Uh, Ireland must show them some level of respect because if they don't, they could they could uh, come away come away with uh, no points from the Principality Stadium at the weekend. So they got to give Wales, you know, some bit of respect. But all things considered, it's a game that Ireland should win because this is a Welsh side. I've already alluded to their poor ray of form in the Six Nations last year. But uh, their form across the internationals at large makes for even worse reading where under Wayne Pivak, they've only won three of their 10 internationals. And those three games that they won were against, two of them were against Italy and the other one was against Georgia. And they're seen as uh, among the minnows of international rugby at the minute. Now, I know how much has been made about Ireland and their poor record at the Principality Stadium, how they haven't won there in eight years, but... I don't think too much should be read into that because in the past we were playing better Wales teams in years gone by. Uh, Wales have never been in a worse place or haven't been in a worse place for as a considerable period of time. So Ireland have a golden opportunity to put an end to that abysmal run at the Principality Stadium. And it's a game that if they play to their potential, they should win. That's it. And it is a stadium that, that normally when there's a crowd there, it has a an atmosphere all of its own, and I suppose that, that applies to uh, the Aviva as well. But um, look, looking at the Wales team, are there what are the players that you think that maybe Ireland need to single out to keep an eye on or need to control or you know get the better of in this game? Um, well, I think that they, they definitely need to contain uh, George North and Josh Adams in their backs because uh, both, both of them... Can do can do serious damage if they if they get the ball. Uh, that of course uh, then means that Ireland need to be getting on top in the forwards because if they're not getting the ball from their forwards, then there's little pl- platform for them to do damage from. So Ireland will look to do- to dominate Wales up front, and you know this could be it, it will depend on the availability of certain players for Wales. They're they're waiting to see. If Alan Wynne Jones is going to be fit, he says he is, but it's yet to be known for certain. And Ken Owens, their hooker, has also been nursing an injury. It's unknown if he'll be available for the game. If those players aren't playing, then Ireland could really stifle and unsettle Wales up front. But if those players are playing up, up front, then obviously it's going to be a little bit more evenly contested in the battle of the two packs. But it's one Ireland should win all the same. But I suppose Ireland are going in with their own injury worries uh, in in this uh, in this game as well, without Keelan Dowers and Quinn Rue as well. Uh, you know, two of them are two of them are huge losses. And uh, who who are the people? Who are the potential players that you feel would be uh, ideal to um, to replace them for this game? Well, Quaylen Dowers is a huge loss. Uh, Quinn Rue isn't as big a loss. Uh, Quinn Rue is was, was kind of only in line to be among the substitutes anyway. But uh, Caelan Doris is a massive loss because uh, he's been one of the real new finds for Ireland. And he was, even when we got well beaten by England at Twickenham, he was one of the few Irish players that impressed. He's been outstanding for Leinster in recent games as well. So to lose him is not ideal, shall we say. So the way, the way I see it is, is that the back row will be rejigged. I, I now expect Peter O'Mahony to line out at 
number six, blindside flanker position. And uh, uh, CJ Stander will revert to number eight. And then I can see that uh, Josh van der Fleer from Leinster will step in at number seven and play open side flanker. Josh van der Fleer is a player that would have been unlucky to lose out, uh, given that he has proven himself numerous times for both province and country. And he has to be seen as the front runner to replace him. I know Reese Ruddock has uh, staked a strong claim for a starting place given his recent form, but uh, I'd narrowly favour Josh van der Fleer based, based on his experience at this level. And we can see now the value of CJ Stander's uh, versatility, the way he can all of a sudden revert to the number eight position once the back row requires a bit of uh, re recalibration. Now, I suppose while Quaylen Doris is a big loss, I suppose if the, sil if the dark cloud has a silver line, is that it occurred in the back row because the back row was one of the areas where we plenty cover so it was never good to lose a player like Caelan Doris but if the dark cloud has a silver lining we've plenty of options in the back row And I suppose really looking at those two players depending on their injuries um, what are the chances of having them back for the, for the French game? It's uh, it's unclear as of yet it's, uh, it, it remains to be seen and uh, well I suppose we can only uh, go on the, the various updates. Uh, there, there's a short turnaround into the French game of only a week. So I suppose we'll have a better, clear, a clearer picture of whether or not they're going to be in line for selection this time next week. But the other thing I forgot to mention there is that uh, Quinn Rue is, is uh, now absent for the Irish team. So in their place, uh, the Gavin Coombs has been called up and so too is Leinster's Ryan Baird. Now, neither player will start in my view, but... Both of them are well in contention to make the subs. Gavin Coombs, especially for me, should have been in the Irish squad from the start, given his uh, scintillating form at Munster. So I think that he, he's not quite ready to start yet at international level, but he's a type of player that could slot in on the bench. And if Ireland are in a winning position, they might give him some experience at maybe 20, 25 minutes to go, because I definitely think that uh, he's, it's time to start blending him into the national side, albeit gradually, because he has shown profits, uh, promise at Munster. And I suppose, really, this is the ideal game to do it, because, you know, that I suppose um, Andy Farrell couldn't really afford it, well, depending on how he would have got on at club level or whatever, but uh, I suppose he couldn't really gamble on it if, if it was against France or England. Yeah, but to be honest, I don't think he can gamble on starting him here either because it's a must-win game. There's huge pressure on Ireland to win this game. So I think that he, if he's going to give Gavin Coombs game time, it's going to be as a substitute. That's if at all, but he may never feature at all against Wales. But if he's going to do it, it'll be as a sub late on in the game because I... There isn't really much scope for experimentation in this game, really, to be honest, because, uh, as I said at the outset, it's a massive game and it's a must-win for both sides. And uh, doing the predictions for the Six Nations, I suppose the winners, as, as you said in previous weeks or whatever, it's um, it's looking like it's between France and England for winning it. And, of course, the wooden spoon will probably go to either Italy or uh, Scotland. Although, have, uh, do you think... Uh, Scotland have been making strides and improving over the last couple of years, or are, are they the same old, same old Scotland that, that they were in, in other years? Scotland have improved slightly, and last year, you know, we saw them, you know, play play well in patches. They finished uh, fourth behind Ireland, France, and England. And of course, it's Scotland did, of course, uh, beat France, and were the only team to do so, and they did so very impressively. But 
that, that, like, that would seem to be a one-off result for Scotland to, to took on a team that would have been ranked above them and won. We don't see that too often from Scotland, but I still think that uh, they're not they're not bad. But I still see them as the fourth best team and the fourth or fifth best team in the competition. In terms of winners, then I've kind of well, I've kind of changed my mind as to who I thought is going to win because I was always saying England were the team to beat, but uh, the absenteeism. High levels of absenteeism have actually swung the pendulum in France's favour because England are without a few players now for varying reasons. Kyle Sinclair is suspended. He's a massive loss at tight head prop. They're also without Sam Underhill through injury. Uh, Joe Launchbury is injured as well. And Joe Marler has uh, opted out for personal reasons. So uh, the four of them are all big losses. Now, England still are a strong side and they have great strength and depth. And I still see them as finishing second. But those absenteeism could make the difference between second place and first place. And France are a side that have really been one of the fastest improving sides in world rugby. And they were, you know, they weren't too far away the last time out finishing second. They, the other thing about, uh, you know, their attacking, oppressive attacking stats is their uh, impressive brand of rugby, which is very attractive and very easy on the eye. And they've, they've all the hallmarks of a, of a side, you know, heading in the right direction. And I think this is set up for France to win the Six Nations. And at the other end of the table, then, you'd have to say it's going to be Italy for the wooden spoon. Scotland aren't really in danger of getting the wooden spoon at all. Italy have, you know, they haven't won a Six Nations game in six years. So there's massive pressure on them to put an end to this uh, losing streak that they're on. But there's been very little indicators uh, to show that they will end that losing streak. So... It's looking like uh, the wooden spoon again for Italy, unfortunately. And I suppose for for Italy, from a, a management point of view, uh, you know, Conor, Conor O'Shea has stepped down, and there's a, a new guy in charge. And uh, I suppose the new the new manager wouldn't make any di- make any difference to form, I suppose, uh, or it wouldn't, uh, you know, increase performance or anything. It's just it's just going to be uh, the, the the I suppose we can't see them given any any of the the uh, teams above them uh, uh, any sort of a game in any way. But, yeah, but Conor Shea resigned from his role two years ago, you know that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yes, any changes in management, you know, they've, they've had two years to try and to try and rectify things at this stage. And then even, like, you know, they can only do so much because, like, there is a gulf in class in terms of, like, personnel, like, the, 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 the quality of players doesn't rival the likes of the standard bears and the six nations at the minute. That's it. And I suppose moving on to news just in and the condensed format of the women's six nations uh, to the start of April. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, they, I suppose they made the decision recently to, uh, to, to postpone the tournament uh, due to COVID-19 and due to logistics. And the logic behind that was understandable because, you know, bar England, the rest of them are have a lot of amateur players. England are the only fully professional side. So instead of teams um, now getting five games in a standard Six Nations format, they now will have three games. So the way it works is that instead of uh, all six sides playing each other, is that they've split it into two pools of three. Ireland are in with France and Wales, and England are in with Scotland and Italy. And so the at the end of that, then, you know, they, they look at the pool standings and the two first teams 
two te- the two first place teams face each other, the two second place teams face each other, and the two third place teams face each other. So that's the format it's going to take. And it's also the new other news just in is that the under twenty six nations is going to take the exact same format as the women's six nations. And again, for logistical reasons, it probably makes sense to give them reduced games. And do you think really, just, just going over to the men's game, do you think that's a format that could be brought into the men's game? Splitting the, you know, with the six nations having the two groups of three? Or is it better to leave it just the way it is in the men's game? Oh no, better to, to leave it the way it was because, you know, the, those players, you know, they'll want more game time. They'll want more experience. So the under the standard format, they'll get five games instead of three. And they'll want to be playing more often uh, to prepare them, uh, if, especially if they're going to view under-20s as a progression pathway to senior international level. So I think that uh, as soon as things revert back to normal, whenever that is, they should look at uh, restoring the old format because the more k- k- games these players get, the better. That's it. And of course, uh, just moving on to the news, just briefly, uh, two items there, uh, Andy Friend just signed signed a, two, a new two-year deal and also um, a prediction for the Connacht versus Dragons game. Yes, I think it's a, well, it's, it was expected that Andy Friend would stay on and it was officially confirmed that he's signing on for another two-year deal. And what I, I have to say can only be described as a positive move for Connacht, given the, the impressive job he's done since he took over in 2018. Um, Andy, Andy Friend, he's so far, he's a, he said his win rate, rate as a Connacht manager is 52%. He's been in charge of Connacht for 62 games and he's won uh, 52% of them. And in, if you look at all the managers Connacht have had since the professional era, the only manager with a higher win ratio is Warren Gatland. And Warren Gatland only took charge of Connacht for uh, two full seasons. Like Andy, a friend has been there already longer than two seasons and has taken charge of 61 matches. So he's a proven track record over a considerable period of time. And I, I talked about it to you before on the show that uh, he has done good things for Connacht. And he's a, a man of incredible proficiency given his involvement with Eddie Jones and the Australian national sides and World Cups gone by. So definitely it's a, it's win-win for both sides there. And Andy Friend is the best man to take Connacht uh, into to progression at both uh, Pro 14 and European level. And then I suppose... They have the game that they need really this weekend, Connacht, because it's been a difficult time for Connacht really in the Pro 14 scene following back-to-back losses recently against Munster and against the Ospreys. This losing run should come to an end, however, when they go up against the Dragons uh, in this round. The Dragons are a team that Connacht would have the beating of, and while they are without uh, Paddy McAllister and Owen Masterson through injury and Tiernan O'Halloran uh, as well, they the the. the they, they're all absent. They're, they're, all of them are sorry are back training, but um, it'll be it'll be a boost to, to have them back all the same. There is doubts, however, about Ben O'Donnell and Sean O'Brien, as it's it's unclear whether they'll be available or not. But regardless of whether they're in or out, you know, Connacht are a far better side than the Dragons, and should be looking to get the win here, and should be looking to win comfortably. That's it. Well, listen. Thanks very much for uh, doing in the line out with us this week, Michael. And uh, we look back. We look forward to looking back at uh, the Wales game next week, and of course uh, the the Connacht match there versus Ospreys. So uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Uh, Connacht versus the Dragons, you mean? Sorry, Connacht versus the Dragons. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll talk to you again.
no problem. Thanks very much. And that was Michael Cook, our um, our rugby.
Hi, Hello. Aidan. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Not. This, this week's uh, podcast, oh, this week's sports nutrition podcast. And uh, yeah, it's getting to that time of year now. Uh, you know, the old uh, chocolates <laughs> are consumed and the uh, oceans and oceans of trifle and things like that. And it's the time of year now where players and I suppose everyone in general is uh, making their New Year's resolution. So I, I That's right. Really, they're uh, you know, especially in the Gaelic football and hurling and uh, and other sports as well. That that's starting soon. Seasons that well, subject to uh, COVID, of course. Of course, and they're all they're all getting into the swing of things uh, with preseason starting soon as well. But other people will be making other positive um, things and uh, you know resolutions like uh, my, myself. Now I'm going to be doing the uh, 100 miles in a month. Oh, very um, good. For um for the matter for the matter foundation uh, heart appeal so uh, you know from that point of view you know there's it, it's kind of a more specific nutrition that's needed for energy for those long distance things like like well for the thing that I'm doing it's you do the hundred miles over the over the month you know what I mean but you split I'll it up for walks I'll be I'll be doing kind of long walks you say five or ten five or ten mile walks now others would be running it but. Uh, it's just there's a specific type of uh, kind of nutrition that's required for that, or it's yeah. not, not a diet, but good things that they could do to kind of help them with that. Well, the good the good news is, I mean, if you're doing if you're doing long walks, um, you're you're not going to be kind of pushing as hard. So in that sense, when we when we burn energy in the body, and and the body has many different energy sources, um. We have different energy systems in the body, and if you're if you're doing a long walk of five or ten miles, that's a great opportunity to burn fat, because yeah. fat is one of those things that it's an emergency supply. If we're it's 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 what I like to call it's a it's a slow burn, it's a low octane fuel. So if if you're out walking at a good pace and you decide I'm going to run because I don't feel like I'm working hard enough or you want so I encounter people who sometimes want to burn fat and they start running running is not a, an efficient way or a good way really to to, to burn fat um, if you're walking at a steady pace you're going it's all based on how hard your heart is working really your 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 heart rate maximum and that's easy enough to work out you want you want to be at about at about 65 percent so what that means for someone is that a good pace you have a little bit of a sweat but you can still actually hold a conversation, um, and that's a good indication that you're you're burning you're burning the right fuel. Now, all these systems overlap. Um, so initially, when you start off your walk, you're you're, you're burning about fifty percent glucose or, or carbohydrates, and then about fifty percent fat. But after an hour, if you maintain that pace, your fat you know your fat burn goes up to about eighty percent. Um, so that's now it does take longer. So what I would say to people is you do actually need to to, to be going over the hour mark if if that's what your your kind of goal was to to get rid of all the the Christmas um, uh, sherry trifle and pudding and and Quality Street and whatever else is uh, that we're all and now I think I think now I think is your last chance. I mean people are people are eating it to get it out of the house <laughs> to get it out well, of the house. It. Now that's another thing. <laughs> You see, with this with this challenge as well, you see there there are people. I just want to 
acknowledge because uh, I'm in the I'm in the group for this, and uh, you know there's loads of great people doing it, and uh, yes, it's as I've said in other podcasts and all that, and on the on other on the sports shows that I've done this week, it's a great way for me from my angle. It's about you know my way of remembering people that passed away and honouring them as you know Connor Kennelly passed away. That's the right, year, yeah, and Morgan Keena um, died as well. And uh, that it's just my way of kind of remembering them, but also to show that the families of those people that passed away that they are in our thoughts and uh, we they deserve everything they that we can do for them. That's and right. Like what what we what we're doing, uh, as in doing the hundred miles, it sounds like a lot, but it's nothing compared to what those families are going through. Yes. So it's our way of it's our way of supporting them. So I suppose for those people. Those other kind of, you know, they're the, the families of the, the, the people that pass away are the real heroes and we're supporting them by that. But I suppose by virtue of that, the, the other people that are doing it are, are the heroes as well because the money that's raised yes. will help with the patient services. So, uh, you know, there are people that are going to be running. There are people that are going to be jogging it and there are people like myself that will be walking. So I just want to say a big hello to all the the participants and it, it's a it's a really worthy cause but uh, yeah so I, I suppose really from that point of view there's two angles when you think of it that there's the people that are walking and there's the people like people like myself that are walking and there's the people that are jogging and running so yeah. i suppose there's different requirements for for each group yes that's right i mean it's it, it's 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 an amazing um tribute and and it's something really worthwhile and I, I think you know i mean it sounds it sounds like a lot but you know that whole thing of how, how do you eat an elephant one one spoonful at a time and that that'll be it for all of you guys whether, of <laughs> whether you're use a big use use a bigger spoon if you can you know but it you yeah, know <laughs> it's a shovel. A shovel yeah but you're getting through it. You're chipping away. You're chipping away. You're chipping away. Yeah. And the other, the other old, the the and it was at Laozu, The journey of a thousand miles starts with one step, and indeed it does. So, like, you know, whether you're walking or running, it's 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 breaking it down to that daily thing or or a few times a week thing that before you know it, you know you you'll, you'll have actually got through. But I, your point is very valid. I think whatever your starting point or whatever your intention is, um, I think. We, you, you have to be um, firstly hydrated fairly well, even though the weather is cold and everything else. But, you know, you should be, if you're starting off and anything like that, you should be fueled and hydrated fairly well. Um, so and maybe even bring a, maybe even bring a bottle of water. Which you can, of course. Yeah, because you're going to be losing sweat. You're going to be losing um, moisture all the time through breathing and through the exercise and through heat and your body will be will be sweating and all that. So it's important to layer right with your clothes and all that to, to kind of facilitate that. And, you know, so from the moment you start really, you will be losing moisture. And, and we know from sort of hydration that if, if it, if you lose 2% of your body weight, then, you know, it's uh, performance and, and fatigue start to really have an impact. So um, that is important. Um, and then from a, a kind of a, a food point of view or a nutritional point of view, um, you want to be sure that you're not just sort of heading out on an empty stomach. I mean, you know, depending on 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 a person's ability and 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 experience, I suppose if they're if they're out if they're if they're many years running and training at a high level, they they, don't, they kind of probably know what they're at already. But like, just for for um your average person that 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 that's heading out into it, you want to ensure that you've you've some you've had some fuel on board. And we use the the hourglass principle in sports nutrition. So you're talking about um three you know an hour before three hours before 
the day the day before, three hours before, and an hour before. So, like the day before, if you know you you want to ensure that you have some form of um complex carbohydrate meal, you know, uh, which which includes things like you know vegetables and potatoes and and um, things like that 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 fuel is stored in the, in, in the muscle, um, and the liver, and then. The morning you're heading out a bowl of cereal, um, you know your porridge obviously is my top choice with some with some uh, berries and frozen or fresh, no problem, uh, and some cinnamon or something like that, and um, that's fantastic. That's that's really 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 good fuel that will kind of sustain you through that, whether you're walking or running. It really it really does make a difference, and um, I, I think I, I think I've mentioned it before, but you you know like when you start to uh, suffer is kind of uh, a while into it. Some of us sooner than others, but um, you know, I think towards the end of it, or, or if you do an hour or two hours or whatever you you, you want, you know, uh, you'll start to feel the impact. So it is important for the higher level athlete. Then I suppose they should know what they're doing. The the longer the distance and the more intensity that's involved and things like that, then it it nearly becomes kind of more important. You know, um, listen to your body, um. Again, you don't listen to your don't listen to your mind. Really, that's the first thing that will kind of give up and tell you, "What are you at? Go home, yeah. sit down, stop." Oh Lord, I don't feel good. How could this be good? Yeah, but um, you know, we do need to listen to our bodies and 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 not push ourselves kind of t- too hard. You know, if you you have the month, we have the month to do it. Then, um, you know, as I said, even if it's a mile or two, you you can always come back at it in a, in a day or two and rest. And actually, you know what, you're going to get fitter anyway because. Throughout the month, you're at your body is going to adapt, and the systems are going to become more efficient, and you you will find that you actually will get fitter and feel better and be able to push yourself a little bit more, maybe. So, um, have the have the bottle of water with you, and if if you know even if you wanted, to, you could even bring something in your pocket as well. Um, if you, if you felt like you were, you had low, low blood sugar or something like that. That's it, because I suppose really. Uh... There's within that that group as well. There's another two categories. There's people that ha- have done this challenge channel before, challenge before, you know. Yeah. Some have done it two or three times. Then there's the likes of myself that has done it the first time. But I, I suppose really it's it's all down to to planning. And uh, you you know there's a they are the app that I'm using for it is you know to track the the miles that we're doing or the kilometers that we're doing. It's the, the Under Armour tracking app. And uh, okay, you know, there's uh, you're you're kind of going at a cer- certain pace and all that. So that that's a great way of, you know, pl- that that helps you. Like we're we're doing the training now at the moment between now and the start of February, and then the challenge starts in February. Great. So I'm even though I'm walking, it's still doing like training for it. So yeah, you know, when, when it comes to actually doing it, then when when you see your results and the miles you've done and the distance and the pace and all that. You can then plan. You can then plan around. Yes. Plan ahead then for the and, it, you know. But you also have to factor in the kind of rest days as well throughout that. Absolutely, because you know it takes it takes twenty four to forty eight hours for the um, the energy in the muscles to be to be replenished. If you've if you've gone out and done a session, done a good old session um, 
it does take twenty four to forty eight hours for the, for for the, for that for those fuel tanks to be built back up, and that's just the fuel tank I'm talking about, you know. So I like I like yeah. the fact that you're using the Under Armour app as well. My Fitness Pal, I think I think I think they're owned by Under Armour as well. But that's if people wanted if people want to track calories and stuff like that, and they want to kind of know well how much am I eating every day and stuff like that. That's a great way of doing it because it's got all the stuff pre-programmed and you what you do is put in your food for for the day and it'll give you a complete breakdown of calories, uh, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, if people want an idea. It, it actually does tell you the amount of calories you've burned in that walk or that run as well. And there's two other friends of mine that are doing it, Jerry Ward and Tom Ward. I'd like to say hello to them. And it was actually Jerry that got me into it. He was telling me about it on Tuesday. And uh, they're doing it as well. But they're doing they're doing a run. They're running it. So, uh, you know, the play football as well, we're, we're all involved in manner. Yes. So, uh, you know, we're kind of out with that, you know, with the whole thing. There's no fixtures and all that. Yes. So, I suppose this is also a great way of kind of keeping fit as well. But the two lads are always kind of fit anyway because they, they do they're all, they're always good, great for for sport. So there's there's that to the two. So you know it's interesting from that point of view, and they, they're doing all that. Yeah, stuff. no, I think for for all of us to keep to keep active. I see with 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 lockdown and restrictions and COVID, the Irish Heart Foundation came out and told us a few months ago that we were sitting down for two hours more every day on average. And, and you know, as humans, we're not, we're not designed for sitting at all. We're designed for, for, for movement. So um, we should be moving more. And it's, uh, of course, it's hard now. I mean, we've had nice weather, hard, frosty weather, but nice weather. Um, it's difficult, you know, to 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 get involved and uh, to get out there. Sometimes, if the weather isn't great, but um, every little bit helps. You, you know, your your body listens to everything. Uh, your body is a recording device, and you, you might not feel as though you've done much, but you know, even a five or ten minutes bout of doing something, it all absolutely contributes. Um, so I would like. It's great to hear the lads. You know, they're obviously running it. They're in, they're in fairly good shape, but. Um, Great to hear they're so active in different things. So, you know, I would encourage everyone, especially if you're like me, if you're sitting down in front of a laptop and and having having lots of Zoom meetings and and various things like that, um, uh, you you find yourself then there's nothing better to to stimulate you and keep you fit and healthy than to just get outside or or get out, get moving in any way you can. That's it, and of course you see. It's always, and I always say, uh, because it's part of what I do, you know, when you're walking, it might just even if you're only walking, it's still important that you warm up before, yep. and especially if you're running as well. Because I noticed, like, when I started, uh, you know, I started on Tuesday, I just did 3.61 kilometers, and then the next day, then I did five point, I think it was seven, and today I did 5.9. Now I'm going to push it maybe tomorrow or the day after, maybe do a 10. So Maybe do five 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 kilometers and then kind of pause. Yes, I know it sounds slightly cheating, but you know, rest for a minute. Oh yeah, absolutely. Are those again? Because it's it's a good. It's a lot to be doing constantly. Yeah, you know, you have to kind of factor. Of course, you have to. I mean, look, the rest, the rest. It's like the boxer going out. Like the he gets to sit down and rest in between rounds. We. That rest is in in any model of of performance. It's it's equally important, you know, as as um because like don't forget like if you have lads who are kind of you know uh, 
you know, playing soccer or Gaelic or whatever, is, or, or rugby indeed, or anything. Sometimes the kind of the old school ethos or the old school thing would be to like, you know, just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. That's not the most beneficial maybe for performance. Maybe the most beneficial thing would be to, to have a five minute break, you know. So it's kind of understanding the times to push yourself the times to uh, take it easy and rest and recuperate and, and, and then you're coming back stronger again than it, you know. So that's, that's a really good point And it's really important that people not uh, put, because if you do, if you do start pushing yourself too hard, you know, something, something will give and you don't want to, you don't want to kind of injure or you don't want to ex- exhaust yourself or yeah, for sure. There, there could be, there could be a, a buildup of lactic acid then because, you, you know, I know there, like when I did the, t- the, two, the last two times, we say I took a rest day yesterday, but the day before yesterday, today when I did over the five, you know, at the end, yeah. you feel great, but it was that kind of slight, yeah. it wouldn't be amazing, but that, that's kind of getting your muscles getting used to the long walks and that, but that goal, as I said, as I always say to people that, once it's it's about building it up, and the more the more you do it, then uh, your muscles get used to it. Yeah. But, uh, that that's where, that that's where they're warming up, and indeed. Yeah, because down. I mean, I, I I know with me now, and, and with many people out there, you you go out and you'll do you do you do a session or train or whatever, and yeah, you have to warm down as well as important. Sometimes I you just if you just stop and sit down, or you just stop. And then you, you go to get up 10 or 15 minutes there, you're like, oh, geez, your body is kind of nearly, you know, frozen or whatever. You're, you could really feed it then. So it's important that you um, circulate that the metabolic buildup and all the those different things out of the body. You know, I mean, lactic acid can build up as well. Lactic acid happens when um, the body's low in oxygen um, and it's converting glucose into energy. So lactic acid ha- does have a tendency to kind of build up and it can cause kind of fatigue and uh, cramps and, and different things like that. And, you know, this is where your pre and post kind of, you know, uh, shower, bath, stretch, all that kind of stuff really just adds up uh, fluid rebalance, rehydration, uh, electrolytes, all that kind of stuff will help you. The, and, you know, I think, I think look, it, it, you, st- you start making better choices you know, if you if you start doing the exercise, it kind of encourages you then to go. Well, you know, I'll I'll make a bit. You know, I'll make a better choice in the kitchen too. Like so, um, yeah. So th- th- those are those are important things that people, you know, um, help themselves help themselves with those choices ultimately. That's it, and I think uh, it's a point that I made um, possibly in one of the earlier podcasts that we did was the whole thing about. Uh, you know the the fruit smoothies are are very good. They're a great source as well, and they they help. As That's well, right, yeah. Like what we want to do is kind of yeah. We 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 want to kind of help the body because like when we exercise, we 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 cause you know there's a lot of different systems at play, and and you know we we cause damage micro micro tears to muscles, uh, this metabolic metabolic byproduct in 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 the in the blood and different things like that so how how do we help that we cause inflammation inflammation is, is the body's natural response um so it's an immune response but so you know if we're working too hard if we're very inflamed which can happen that's that's a negative and and then that that can cause excessive that can cause fat fat gain and things like that so the things like with you know smoothies is um I, I like i hope i said it before it's kind of drink them slowly be careful what you put in them but they can really kind of help with with uh 
you know, uh, post-recovery because they can help restore energy. Um, depending on what you put in, they can help really reduce the inflammation and, and, and settle the body down and even influence pH and things like that. Um, so I would encourage people um put um some some kind of leafy greens in them put a teaspoon of uh, linseed or flaxseed into them as well that's the healthy fats and that'll help the joints and the soft tissue that omega-3 omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory and they're 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 really fantastic at helping the body heal and recover um not to mention kind of you know brain health and all that but um and and berries pack the biggest nutritional punch in fruit as well and again don't be afraid to use frozen berries um they're they can be just as just as good nutritionally as well we're, we're, we're not going to lose any of the antioxidants in berries because of because of them being frozen um so yeah the berries are great and of course you're hydrating yourself as well that's it and they are actually they are actually, uh, they are actually kind, kind of tasty and they're, they're nearly they're nearly better uh, nearly better in many ways they're nearly better than the energy drinks you know the absolutely because they yeah you'll get you're just see i mean look the thing the thing with 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 energy drinks is you're 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 getting you're getting like simple sugars and caffeine and other chemicals um you know which is but it's it's only short hit though isn't it like sorry i mean they are good they are good they are good but you only get a short yeah we say for a certain period and then there's there's a load you you know yeah that's right there's um you, you kind of crash, you know, you, you get a spike because there's that much sugar and some of them are absolutely packed with sugar, you know, and it's it's a huge amount of sugar and you get this big kind of energy between the sugar and the, the caffeine and, and other, you know, they, they may put other vasodilators in to open up blood vessels and that. So so you get this kind of initial burst and woo and, um, you know, you get maybe adrenaline with that as well but from the caffeine. But the negative of that is that it it causes a crash in the in the um you know and how you how you feel your energy and all that kind of just crashes anyway uh, because you've just completely overloaded the, the nervous system and also the you know too much sugar you've put you've pumped the the the, the bloodstream full of sugar and of course your body's going to produce a huge uh, amount of insulin and then that sugar is going to be you know taken out of the blood and you're going to kind of crash yeah and I suppose that the best example, kind of, you know, the more, uh, shall I say, hyper drinks will be the, you know, a lot of people will go, um, go mad for the, the Red Bull and the, the, the just some just take it straight and then other takes others, to, uh, you know, the mix it with vodka and, and all these kind of things. And to, to tell you the truth, um, up until kind of two years ago, I never actually, you know, I heard of people and seen people drinking it and all this, but I never kind of saw the fascination. Yeah. But, uh, it wasn't until I went over with the Ireland under seven or the Ireland senior six side squad to Kiev for the Ireland yes. championships, and of course our games our games were at t- around twelve o'clock, and it was warm over there for the week that we were over there, so um, you know there, there was a big fridge yeah. in the in the uh, <laughs> in the dressing room, and then there was actually a fridge actually on the yeah. sideline as well, and you know it was kind of good. I said you know what yeah. I'll just try it. And it was a lovely drink, but it wouldn't be now. You wouldn't drink it like you drink yeah. water now, because. Uh, but it, it it was just perfect. Yeah. With the heat, obviously we don't have to worry about that yeah. now this time of year. 
But in that time, you know, it was just, it was kind of like, I suppose, some people would say with Bulmer, right, you know, on a warm day, it's lovely. It, it was kind of, it, it kind of felt well, like Well, as, as my brother-in-law said, it's a, it's a false economy. <laughs> because a, Exactly. Yeah, well, we weren't yeah. paying so. <laughs> There's a There's a price that... Well, I look a lot of a lot of athletes are, are they love their they love caffeine. I was talking to I was talking to someone in in uh, Leinster who looks after nutrition, and he said to me they're they're just they just love caffeine, you know. Um, they they what they generally do with athletes anyway is kind of keep try and keep them off the caffeine two or three days before, and then yeah. you know they get a hit of caffeine because we know caffeine does impact things like it improves hand-to-eye coordination and stuff like this so people are sharp going on the pitch but like you know it like everything everything should be kind of measuring stuff for like that like so but just be like just for people to be careful you know uh, out there because like you know those drinks to you know they're especially for younger younger lads and all that you know um it's it they're, they're you're, you're much better off in the long term going with um your own your own energy drinks that you can you can even make up yourself, you know, with 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 sugar, a little bit of sugar and salt because yeah. those things are going to maintain you. And fruit, uh, fruit juice, or, or even just throwing fruit into water and stuff like that. Some of the vitamins and things leach out, so um, much better than the than those uh, energy dense drinks. That's it, and of course, uh, you, you know, that's like I said, there's a difference between for me having it in the heat where, where it was grand, but of course you wouldn't have to worry about that. But we, of course we all know with Red Bull, it makes, it makes Santi, uh, Santi fly and he just rain there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was thinking maybe in two or three weeks time before, before the start of, um, before the start of it, we might do something else like kind of, yeah. you know, pre- Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we could we could maybe give people a breakdown of of uh, different sort of foods and snacks and, and things like that that they could they could um, um, have or prepare or whatever because that you know that's what it is about it is about preparation, balance, uh, timing, nutrient timing. Like you know, well, when should I eat this? And I mentioned the hourglass principle, uh, all of these things. Another great idea for people i'd like to encourage people to do this as well because it's that time of year now i mean if people want to try and succeed in their in their goals whatever they are uh, whether it be fitness or you know um performance or whether it be weight loss or muscle gain self-monitoring is really important so um keeping a diary of what you eat and that that app you you know that we've we've spoken about can be a great way of doing that if you're not it depends on you know or you can go the old yeah. school way and just simply write it down in the diary now people who do self-monitor and keep yeah. keep track of what they eat are you know are, are a lot more successful in reaching their goals because you have some level of accountability going on and writing it down is is just really uh, it can be insightful as well that's it. Well, listen. Thanks very much, Tom, for uh, for doing sport, the sport nutrition podcast. And yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, again, I'll be delighted to. You know, it'll be great, and uh, you know, I'm sure that's because uh, I'm going to share this in the in Brilliant. that group as well, and it's going to be a great source of information for you know first time people, but I suppose people in general. There might be other, even there's there'll be for professional runners that would doing it and uh, you know that they, they probably know a lot about it already but just uh, for other people it, it's kind of yeah. interesting to know or it goes kind of a bit 
deeper into it and uh, it gives them a better understanding and it'll help them in their preparation because I know you, you have to do the training, but it's all about... It's all about, it's all about the preparation, absolutely, yeah. The yeah, 100%. Like, My pleasure. Okay, so thanks thanks very much, Aidan, for having me on. And we'll be in touch. Take care now. No problem. Best of luck. No problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah. And that was uh, Tom Coleman. The... You can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance well, they know friends of mine. We can dance if you want to.